it didn't have the setup to deliver the spite, so it just felt like uh, it felt like emo light to me in that kind of way. Um, Ooh, yeah. emo light. I like emo that. Light. Isn't that what we're yeah. basically writing? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. With too however, many things in it. Yes. Just like you Kate guys said. are fat free emo. There's a difference between <laughs> yes. fat free emo and emo fat light. Emo we're, like and the, emo light. we're like one one percent emo yogurt. One percent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> love it. Still has a touch of it. our thoughts about an album from top to bottom no skips and we give some minor notes that is kate griffin and that is gabby alvarez welcome if you're new here gabby is a music business professional and i'm a songwriter and this entire first season of minor notes is dedicated to the discography of miss taylor swift gabby is a fan of hers and i'm on a listening journey to find out if i'm a fan too so to do that each episode we are listening to her albums in chronological order and discussing each track Yes, and today we're joined by two very special guests, Ellis Ludwig-Leone and Alan Tate of San Fermin. Hi, guys. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Hi. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah. (laughs) Alan, it looks like you just learned how to speak. Yes. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. Good. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Taylor's folklore. And before we get into it, I would like to know, or Kate and I would like to know, how big of Taylor Swift fans... (laughs) Are or were you or are you before you started this assignment? Um, so uh, full disclosure, um, I'm uh, married to uh, what I would describe as a, a born again Swifty. I think. Uh, oh wow! I think. Um, I think around redemption, we all we all struggled with our faith. Reputation. Reputation. Excuse me. <laughs> Reputation. It's a tough start. Right. It's a tough, start. tough start. <laughs> tough start. Well, listen. Um, so I think we all. I think we all struggled with our our Swifty, uh, faith. But, um, so I am like forcibly fairly well versed, um, in that, uh, our uh, apartment does not have very many rooms and thus if it's played loud (laughs) enough, you'll hear it anywhere. Um, so, so by proxy, by proxy. Um, but yes, so I'd say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm, uh, I I have thoughts. I've dipped in and out over the years. I think mean was like, uh, was the first song of hers that I really had a, relationship with and then uh kind of in and out i thought there's some really good ones on 1989 that i yeah i I, I was uh listening to those a lot and then uh folklore which we're going to talk about today yeah cool love me and that's such a good one so good all right so let's get into it folklore was released on july 24th 2020 uh in the midst of the covid pandemic it is her eighth studio album and her second on republic records Uh, So like everyone in 2020, Taylor was quarantined, and that's where she wrote this album. It's only released 11 months after her last album, and usually she's like two years in between records. So Mm. when the Lover tour was canceled, she just kind of wrote this in her house and and collaborated virtually with the producers, uh, Aaron Dessner of The National and Jack Antonoff, who is the worst <laughs> wow the the jersey hate has started early dude we don't like that guy we're we'll shooting inside it. the new jersey house and we have been on air for only minutes yeah <laughs> well that's how you know because uh, kate and i are both from new jersey and yeah. we're oh he's the just the worst listen um, if he's from new jersey too he's got to be prepared for the hate that, uh, yeah you, don't, you know uh, come yeah. on yeah mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she recorded her vocals at in her home studio in L.A. and Desner in his studio in Hudson Valley, Long Pond and Antonoff in New York City, which I don't know what studio he uses because I don't really care about him. <laughs> it was Electric Lady. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it was <laughs> Thank Lady. you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. A Appreciate little, that. Little known recording outfit, Electric Lady. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? No one's heard of it. So the album is obviously a huge departure from her past albums, um, especially pop production, which was in her most recent albums before this. It's indie folk, alt rock. Uh, it's different for her. It's influenced by loneliness during quarantine, mm. which no shit, I think duh and there are themes of escapism empathy romanticism and nostalgia and the album is filled with fictional narratives and story arcs which is not her thing Mm. she always writes from her perspective so this is the first time she explored an entire album where she doesn't do that okay so it's just pretty cool folklore broke the guinness world record for biggest opening day on spotify for an album by a woman which is kind of wild Hmm. and it won album of the year at the 63rd annual grammy awards making taylor swift the first female in history to win that award three times Mm. so say what you want to say about tay tay but she keeps winning shit so good for her um so throughout (laughs) when we're talking about this kate is going to point out some lyric tropes which do you want to get into it Part of the reason I thought I wasn't a big fan of hers is because anytime I heard her songs, I heard the same five or six words over and over again. And so when we started the podcast, I started keeping a list. So at the end of every song, I'm going to tell you which songs on that list she says in each song. Mm. Or which words, which lyrics. I'm sorry, which words she says. Yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot. She's got a lot of themes she likes, but this is an interesting album for that, regardless. And there's um, even more, but honestly, like, I can't keep counting. Like, I'll just make a general <laughs> note about the new ones I've noticed, but, like, I can't go back. I just can't. Yeah, I spend too much yeah. time on this. Yeah. No, no, no. For <laughs> sure. All right, so let's get into it. So, track one, The One. Kate, what can you tell me about The One? It was written by Swift and Aaron Dessner. You mentioned him already, but he's an American musician and songwriter and producer, founding member of The National. He's worked with Michael Stipe from R.E.M., Local Natives, Lone Bellow, and more, and it was produced by Desner. I like this song as an opener a lot. I think that Taylor has a way of putting, like, the first track on. She just really is trying to pick the good opener and set the tone, and I like that the first lyric is, I'm doing good, I'm on some new shit, which is, like, very obviously saying, like, hey, this is different. Mm. I do, I like it a lot. I like, uh, there's a couple lyrics that I like. If you never bleed, you're never gonna grow, which is, like, kind of dark. Totally. But I like it. I feel like it's darker than anything she put on Reputation, which is supposed to be her darker album. Yeah. Uh, but this line is, it's it's deep, I think. Mm-hmm. And I also love Roaring Twenties Tossing Pennies by the Pool because I feel like it's a callback to, and I don't know if uh, you guys know this song, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things on Reputation, where yeah. she says she was feeling Gatsby for that whole year. So I feel like she's calling mm-hmm. it back a little bit. But I like it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm not going to lie, when my wife first played me this album, and I think we were in the car, and I heard that the first lyric on the first song was uh, Taylor Swift um, saying, I'm doing good, I'm on some new shit. I was like, Taylor, I'm not sure that July 2020 is the time for you to be exploring um, loose use of uh, eubonics. I'm just not (laughs) sure that this is, I was like, if the next line is, I'm with my girls, I'm on some cruise shit, I'm actually just going to punch (laughs) the speaker and just leave the music industry entirely. So I have to yeah. say that that line sent chills through my entire body. It felt like it happened in slow motion, and I was like, oh my God, 
she's finally cracked. Like it's going to happen. Right. Like, <laughs> like she not only has she left the banjo, but like she's gotten terrible advice. Like it's right, just right. she's going to like you know do an interview where she's like the actually the NBA YoungBoy album like kind of really touched me. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but yeah. Uh, so I would that lyric um, put fear in my heart uh, actually. Yeah, it didn't go where you thought it would go, so I guess a little relief too. Yeah, although somehow for an album that I actually I would say like on the whole I enjoy listening to and songwriting that I think is, uh, uh, although repetitive, like she's committed to the craft. Like the Taylor Swift songs almost feel like model T's in the way yeah. that they are like mm. put together in the same way over and over again. Mm-hmm. And mm. like uh, melodies follow certain rules. Like you could probably break them down to like Dr. Luke esque rules of yeah. writing songs mm-hmm. um, in the same way. I still hear that line and cringe every time. Um, yeah. But interesting. Yeah. I love that line. Well, I respect that. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> She, I also agree, this is one of my less favorite songs on the album, which I also quite like in general, the album. Mm. Um, but uh, I do think that the, um, when I heard it the first time, the sound world was just so surprising that, and I also, when I listen to music, listen a lot less to lyrics than Alan does, I think. This is like a feature of our mm. our songwriting experience together. Um, mm. And uh, so I was just like, oh, I think I can actually tell from the sound of that cello that I know that person. And, and in fact, that was correct. Like it was, it was the cellist I thought it was. And like, you know, there's. Oh, wow. oh that's funny. And wow. So, so sort of right away, I was like, okay, wait, I can recognize, I, I think I know that piano. You know what I mean? Like it just felt sonically very super mm. familiar. And then when I did look through the album credits, in fact, you know, we have worked with or know a lot of the people who have played on this record so it was i was just like oh okay here we are in a very familiar world so while it was new shit for taylor it felt like actually sort of Mm. some Mm. familiar shit for us (laughs) that's really interesting Mm -hmm. that's a very interesting take on it um i was kind of surprised my first note is swear words like Mm. i didn't know where we were going i don't even think (laughs) she says these words on reputation Mm -hmm. so i was like okay and i i still don't really know how i feel about it as an opener it, it was kind of weird for me, I guess, because I'm not super familiar with her. I know when it came out, it was a surprise, but she kind of had this like cottage core aesthetic going on. And this doesn't sound like cottage core to me. So I was like, what are we doing? I, I thought this was going to be all like folk songs. So mm. I was kind of thrown. I do think the song in general is kind of cute, but it has like a mature undertone, which shows a lot of growth, which I can appreciate. I pulled out the same line, Gabby. If you never bleed, you're never going to grow. So I think that's what kind of pulled me into the maturity. I was like, okay, this is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I do feel like it could have fit on Lover. It it might be like kind of a good bridge song. So maybe in that regard, it is a good opener. I don't know. I I still don't know how I feel about it. But as far as tropes, she mentions Dream. And, Gabby, you're going to get mad at me. The last two albums, she's been drinking a lot. She mentions Rosé. You need to stop I'm just saying. It happens a lot. I'm worried we were in quarantine I feel like she might have been drinking a lot, but those are the um, only tricks. Uh, you guys should know on Lover in just about every song, she mentions drinking in some way. Kate doesn't drink at all. So right. now she thinks Taylor's an alcoholic mm-hmm. and I just think she's a grown up. Mm-hmm. Well, well it, it's scary. There's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Kate, honestly, it's you should worry about your friends. I think that's, I think that's totally valid. Um, <laughs> I... 
interestingly with lover which was i think the record that saint vincent was a lot more involved with Mm -hmm. somehow despite uh annie being of the identical complexion um (laughs) somehow if saint vincent said i'm doing good i'm on some new shit first of all she'd say it as like you know uh a robot with like fuzz guitars behind it um (laughs) but i would have been like okay like I, like somehow I would have accepted it, whereas with Taylor, and I think particularly with the setup of like a uh, faded photo in the woods with snow falling in a warm sweater and like a mug of cocoa. <laughs> yeah. It's like, actually. are you I on new you. shit? Because this feels like <laughs> Hallmark's level new shit. Like, is this Like new? your regular shit. I hear you. I hear yeah. you. But yeah. I think for Taylor, it is new shit. Like she is, she's a horse girl. Let's not forget. Well, so for the horse mm-hmm. girl, this is new shit. Well, across the whole album, I do feel like there's this, uh, it's interesting to track because you know when she's at her best, always it's like American classic American like Americana songs, right? Like, and I think sure. this Miss album Americana. In, and this album in general, I think is sort of aiming at that. But then periodically, she does sort of like her her melody writing sort of code switches in like a funny way, where suddenly it's like yeah. triple it, triple it, ba ba da da, ba ba da ba ba, yeah. and it's like whoa, you have so like you turn on the radio in L.A. for a minute, and like that's that's like the way that and so much more sort of like uh cadence more associated with like contemporary hip-hop and and so those things will sort of happen and then it's back to like you know songs that are grounded in uh you know (laughs) Joni mitchell or you know what i mean so it's just it's it's it's, i always find it very jarring when she makes that switch i find it i think it's I, i get it but i think it's an interesting um because this now being her eighth album and she kind of played super country really early on and then she learned how to do the pop thing and then got a little edgier and she figured out how to do this folk thing while trying to tie in all that shit. Yeah. And sometimes you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she does a terrible job at doing it. I like it. But I am obsessed with her. So let's just... <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to be objective about it. All right. Track two, Cardigan. All right, Cardigan is written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner, and this was the first single, July 27th of 2020. I like this song a lot. I I do not hate I do not like the metaphor, the cardigan metaphor. I think it's fucking stupid. <laughs> I I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed. You put me on and said I was your favorite. Like what? Yeah. I don't I don't know. But I do love the chorus and I love the melody that I knew you. Like that's nice. But I think it's a weird metaphor and I feel like she's she's trying really, really hard to to make a good folk song. And yeah. like, like writing a song about a cardigan is like a thing Bob Dylan would do, and I just think it's like really weird. Right. What do you guys think? Uh yeah. I, uh <laughs> Like the sun's not yellow, it's chicken. Like what are you even singing about? Right, 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 right. It it does feel it's like if Dylan wrote that song, it's like it would have some of the same imagery, but it would be a little more left-footed. Like mm-hmm. I I think that there's in this one it's like that that stuff that's supposed to be a little off-kilter is like we chose a specific moment to be that or like we chose a mm. uh, like I yeah I don't know it feels considered in a way that like I think um, an odd metaphor like that should almost feel like it was uh, it's so left-footed that it's just what popped into your head and you said it and you didn't think about it and with Taylor it's like 
I thought about the options. I had a list of things, and we decided on yes. chicken. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. Trying because too hard. So, trying too so hard. So many other parts of the song are like classic Taylor in a way, like dancing in your Levi's drunk under a, a streetlight. Like, I know you handed her my sweatshirt, baby kids are better. That, to me, is like cheesy Taylor living in a snow globe singing about love. And then, yes. like, the cardigan metaphor. Like, just just be a cheesy Taylor. Just do it. <laughs> I don't care. What are we doing here? Yeah, th- this know. one kind of has her at her easiest and and best and also i think at her most sort of like tightly controlled in a way that i sometimes also buck against right and i agree like Mm -hmm. this is definitely one of those where the sound world is you know is extremely like folk indie you know uh but then there is this is definitely one of the yeah so that's very like that felt very pop and sort of like put on and then also um Mm. there's like uh when she does the I knew you yeah that that like mm-hmm. that's when I think she's at her best is when it's like she actually lets the emotion and her really natural melody writing ear kind of like bubble over in ways that yeah. feel really mm-hmm. nice um, whereas when she's trying to fit into like a a cadence that feels a little bit more especially when the metaphor feels a little forced I think that's less exciting yeah and uh, like when she released this too uh, was this was this her her first single or first maybe single, no? yeah first, first one. single one of the merch offerings was like this ugly white cardigan and <laughs> yeah. i was just like we're you're fully going for it and i know like the swifties are gonna buy it but just like that's that makes me want to vomit a little bit too much it's a funny too too funny choice for a first single on this album that has so many good singles uh yeah i made that note too i don't think this works as a first single I do really love her soft singing and when she's in a lower register, it kind of gave me Lana Del Rey vibes a little bit, which Ooh, I thought okay. was really interesting. And I really enjoyed the soundscape that we mm-hmm. were in. But I can't imagine anyone ever saying, like, this is my favorite song. Like, no. like I, I honestly couldn't sing it back to you right now. One line I really did like, and I believe this was her bridge. She's really good at bridges. I knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss. I knew you'd haunt all of my what ifs. The smell of smoke would hang around this long because I knew everything when I was young. And I just thought that was really pretty. But then you get the chicken line and I'm like, oh, like what happened? What are we doing? <laughs> she does I love that we're calling it the chicken line. The now. chicken line. Yes. She mentions downtown bars and this is super trope heavy. I think this might be the most tropes of any song we've we've analyzed. She mentions the phone, dancing, kissing in cars, stars, father, and Levi's, which I'm counting as jeans. Yeah, they are, I mean, which they I'm are. I'm counting sure. as jeans, Kate. Yeah, yes. jeans in general is, is the trope, but Levi's, absolutely. So this was, so in that way, Gabby, it does feel like classic Taylor because she's yeah. throwing all the tropes at you. Well, but I, it doesn't yeah. really work. I don't well, know. One of the things that I think is interesting about Taylor's songwriting across all this time is that, like, she's so clearly from the country tradition in terms of just she's just a storyteller, you know? And, like, this, yeah. I think yeah. what's fun about this album and certainly that I felt like I could relate to was that she was trying to tell stories from different points of view and, like, diff- she, taking on, you know, like, at one, one point she's a 17-year-old, you know, kid with Betty. And then yeah. another one she's talk- talking from – so there's all these different, you know um, – in another one, she's like bought a house off of Rhode Island, yeah. right? It's just like really different. So I feel like that's always what served her really well is this commitment to storytelling that like, I mean, it's the same thing that, that um, you know, it's like, it's the same thing that uh, Ray Charles loved about country music, which was, yeah. it was like people love the stories. And that's why he, I mean, one of the reasons he had so much success was that he was able to marry like really classic storytelling with obviously an amazing voice and amazing, you know, talent, but and also uh, sort of like R and B soul world. Yeah, so I think that that's that's always her best, um, you know, s- side. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like the ones where she really tells a story um, and, and maybe lets go a little bit of the sort of super tightly controlled aspect of her sort of formula, I think is always the best for me. I do too. I think her storytelling songs are her best songs from mm-hmm. like the, from her earlier stuff. You know, like Absolutely. "You Belong with Me." What's the love story? Is another <laughs> one like that. That yeah. That's just. Um, but I think that's how she learned how to write songs. You know, like she learned in Nashville, and she's carried that through her entire career. And I really like that structure. I just oftentimes country songs to me are like that's that's too much stuff we're talking about. Too much stuff. Yeah. Um, but she makes it really digestible. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I she has like weird. Uh, there's a weird onus at that level. Uh, like on one hand, she can sell an ugly cardigan and just has such a built-in fan base that like pretty much anything is fine. Like chicken sun, right. totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> like the ugly cardigans totally fine it's not like she doesn't have the like the the funds or wouldn't still be in the black if they had made a nice cardigan um and sold right that. but like uh so but there's also this onus that i think of sometimes when i think of like uh, someone else at that level like drake where it's sort of actually there's enough of a fan base that like even if the album gets totally dragged, it's still going to get spun a billion times. Yeah, but so, always. So the songs can kind of be about whatever, but also part of the whole arc, or like part of the whole way that um, Taylor or Drake or somebody fits into culture is that like they need enough one-liners in the singles that people can use them as Instagram captions. And it's yeah. like you have... I, uh, you put me on and, I, and said I was your favorite. It's like I can picture that filtered. We call those calf tattoo like, lines. Yes, calf tattoo lines. We, right. we talk about those. Calf tattoo lines. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know. You're or, totally right. Right. I knew everything when I was young. It's like, okay, you got two in there. Great. There's probably like a couple more in there. That covers your bases on the song. The sun's a chicken. Like that's yeah. like everything <laughs> else yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. fucking matter. Like doesn't we're matter. just, we're home. Like we, we already yeah. did that like in the way that, yeah, you know. But honestly, it, 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 in a way, though, it's funny to see this sort of the Aaron Dessner production, right? It's like the National, like they were, they're so good at the calf tattoo lines. It's just like a different person who's getting that calf tattoo, right? It's like, yeah. it's like he, you know, Matt will say one line that's just the more he says it over and over again, the more uh, significant it feels. And so, in a way, there's mm-hmm. actually sort of like it makes sense that the songwriting, I mean, I, I always thought, thought that that was what, what the sneaky, the sneaky great thing about the National was that they were giving you really you know, calf tattoo lines, but he was just mumbling them. So you had to really listen for it. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and Taylor's like, there's, Here it one, is. There, there's one at 30 seconds, one at yeah, one yeah. minute, yes. one at yeah, one yeah, thirty, yeah, yeah, one yeah. at two minutes. I'm going to repeat the first one. Have a nice day. <laughs> Buy a card. Totally. Like, Song done. Right. Buy my card again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank right. You. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Number three, the last great American dynasty. Written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner. So this song is, so Alice, you mentioned this before, the song about the house she bought. Taylor actually bought Rebecca Harkness's old house in Rhode Island. It's her house now. and It was known as the Holiday House. So this is, uh, she wrote a story about the life of Rebecca Harkness, who is uh, was a patron of the arts, and she was a founder of the Rebecca Harkness Foundation. It's kind of reminiscent to me of the song The Lucky Ones off of Red, where Taylor is singing about a famous woman character yeah and how like fame isn't really worth it and maybe move to the woods and tend to your garden instead and escape it 
I hear that. So I think it's funny that she's kind of bringing that back again. She does that a lot. She goes back and explores old themes from previous albums that maybe weren't strong songs and does it again. I really love this song. I think this is one of the better songs on this album. And I think it's a much better version of The Lucky Ones on Red. You can tell that she's grown up a little bit in her writing style from Red. And I love the line, she had a marvelous time ruining everything. Like, this woman is fucking great. I want to hang with her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's just that classic, really relatable situation when you've bought and bought Rebecca Harkness's house on off the coast of... Uh, I, we've, all we've all been there. there. Yeah, we've all we've been, all there. been there. Obviously. Yeah. We've all. We've all done it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I actually, I went to a wedding just down the street from, from that house. And uh, it is a very fancy part of... Part of uh, Rhode Island, not not like the part of Rhode Island that that we we spent a lot of time in growing up, Alan. Um, but uh, this song, <laughs> my my uh, the, like the structure of it, where it's all this historical sort of singing, and then at the end, she, the last verse, it makes it about her. Um, I think is so great. It like really works with the. Uh, what makes her such so good as a songwriter, and it also really reminds me of John Wayne Gacy by Sufjan. Okay, Stevens. yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, what? No, no, no. We, we, okay, so we full disclosure, we just did the a, like a Zoom songwriting class, and we were talking about like there's a certain kind of song where like you do it as the narrator, and then the twist is at the end you reveal that like you have like you the narrator are actually involved in some way right <laughs> right and that right. like one of the classic examples is john wayne gacy where like the, the sufjan song which uh, is for people who uh don't know that one it's like it's basically this historical narrative of the serial killer john wayne gacy outside of chicago or in illinois i don't know exactly where he lived and then um at the end uh sufjan says like Look underneath. Uh, in, in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look underneath the floorboards for the uh, like the bodies I have hit or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, whoa. so obviously very different uh, slant to it. But that I think it's it's a really classic songwriting trope. I think to like write a historical song and then find a way at the end to like bring it home by sort of saying this whole thing has been a metaphor for my own experience or or mirrored my yeah. own experience in some way. And I think she does it really well with this one. And honestly, there are a lot of um, you know, there are historical examples of people like Taylor who cause a lot of uh, both um, people really celebrate them and also particularly, I think, a lot of women who were both celebrated and also sort of uh, reviled by a certain establishment, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like that because um, as she's telling the story of this other woman who is, you know, who is like rich and famous and has this great life, but everybody kind of hates her. It is kind of about her. And then at the end, right. she's like, hey, guess what? And it's like, oh yeah, we know. We listened to all your albums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, she was also concerned about reputation back in the in the Gilded Age. Right. Yeah. Gabby, this is not a question for you because I know the answer has to be yes, but did you all watch that doc about her, the Miss Americana thing? Yeah, right. sure, yeah. So this song felt a little bit like maybe the first time since then that she got to do that. Everyone got so mad when I like finally started speaking for myself. Like That feels like the ruining everything, but like also, again, Gabby, that line still feels like it's also your caption for your like your three a yeah. your three a.m. post, um, so right. it's like kind of doing both things, which again is like that's um, 
there's craft to it, but it's like you can't really make it through a Drake or Taylor Swift song without finding at least like three lines that you could probably like post a thirst trap with, like or mm-hmm. one yeah. where like your makeup's running, but also like your butt's out a little bit. You know what I mean? Like that's like <laughs> like that's that's what like you need to and that's not an accident. Like at that level of song craft, that's not an accident. Yeah, no. oh, that's right. Like Bruce Springsteen, right, is writing all these songs about, uh, you know, with all this sort of ironic detachment about um, the American situation. And there's, all, but every line reads like you could see it tattooed on, you know, on a bike, yeah. a, a biker, you know, biker, a uh, Trump. Trumpy biker gang or whatever, right? So it's like because right. you probably have, right? Yeah. So it's like I, th- I think <laughs> what often separates really good songwriting from like massively famous songwriters who are also really good is that I think that very very high whatever that that tiny tip of the sort of the Bruce Springsteens and the Taylor Swifts they are able to write in such a way where the lines all feel like they apply universally <laughs> to everyone, yeah, and yet like might mean extremely different things to different people, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, uh, that, yeah, there's there's real craft to that, but also it is it is funny where you um, you can imagine like away messages on AIM. <laughs> being yeah. Yes. yes, yes, right. Oh my God, it's completely. That, it's that same thing. And then also because this happens throughout, uh, it feels like just about every song, like that there's some level of that. Uh, I think there definitely is. There absolutely is. Yeah. And I think she intends for that, for every song to have a line that yeah. that her fans can be like, oh, my God, that line, because that's what I fucking do. Right. Right. Which is, <laughs> uh, I think like that and then imagining, um, you know, like them getting the vocals at Long Pond and it's just like. <laughs> Aaron and the, his engineer is actually that guy I, I really am a big fan of, John Lowe, who's uh, from Philadelphia, does almost all of the stuff that Aaron works on. Um, imagining the two of them getting the vocal and just being like, you think muted piano for that? Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Oh, I also thought it was so funny. There's like, there's all the drums on this. All of the drums are muted drums, right? Like yeah, there's like, just, yeah. Which are like things that they figured out on like Sorrow, you know, which right, like yeah. really different. Right, right. Like, yeah. Right. yeah. The whole sound world is there. And you can, I, I feel like, uh, so I watched that, um, that Disney doc that they did mainly because I just wanted to see the inside of the studio, full disclosure. But sure. um, <laughs> I also thought the performances and like all the other stuff was great. But like, it did feel, I feel like on this album, you can tell where concessions were made in one direction or the other. The vast majority of being in the direction of Taylor, because if Taylor Swift calls you to make a record, you shut up and you make the record. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But you can tell that, I think like my understanding of how that came to be was that she was a fan of the national. So it was like, she was cherry picking stuff that she liked about the national. And it's interesting to see what she cherry picked. Yeah. Which is like, ooh, moody. And everyone's like, no, w- w- like it's like sad 40s, um, but like specifically like Northeast um, and yeah. like <laughs> with a college education, but like liberal arts and probably not something you're applying in your everyday life now. Right. And, and she's like, no, 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 no. What I said was mute the drums, mute the piano, sad times. And they're like, yeah, yeah cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool, yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah that's yeah, what we yeah, said yeah, too, yeah, but okay, okay. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, um, were there tropes on this one? Um, just Town, she does mention Champagne. I do like this one a lot, and I agree with you, Gabby. I think of all the songs, like, I just kind of wish more of them sounded like this. Yeah. By the time I got to this song, I was like, oh, this sounds appropriate. Like, this is what I was expecting for the for the visuals and the promo for this. I hear a little bit of Imogen Heap, 
which she worked with her on Clean on 1989. Mm, 1989. So I wonder if, like, that kind of bled into this a little bit, which I enjoy. And I do really like how we said it's a narrative, so it's, like, not including her until it does. And I think Mm. that's great because I personally am getting a little tired of, like, the I, 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 me, me, me in the songs. But also, I don't think it would be appropriate for her to remove that completely. That Mm. would be, like, too much. So I'm kind of happy with this balance. And I love the concept of, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, like, into that as a whole. Kate, I love love that you are showing up to a Taylor Swift album being like, I feel like I'm hearing too much about Taylor. Like, that's just, (laughs) like... That is Listen. just the most blissful <laughs> ignorance I've ever heard. Like, good for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Claim that. Well, when you listen to them this way, <laughs> no, absolutely. it's kind of like nothing's changing. Nothing's yeah. changing. I, I, so. com- I completely hear you. I'm just like contrasting that with like, you know, uh, the Taylor Swift fans on TikTok who are like, she has three freckles on her right arm, which means it's I coming know. out at 3 a.m. on the day of the morrow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And I you're know. like, I, I just I, feel I'm like listening. it's about her a lot, right? Like, <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> At the end of this, if I'm still alive, that's a win for me. So we'll we'll see. Yeah. Last episode is just Kate is a former songwriter. Uh. Yeah, Kate was. Yeah, exactly. Number four, Exile, featuring Boney Bear. Uh, written by Swift, William Bowery, who is her boyfriend, Joe Alwyn. And Justin Vernon, who is Bonnie Bear. And it's produced by Desner and Alwyn. And it was the second single, August 3rd, 2020. I knew her boyfriend was involved. Um, I didn't really know to what extent. And I don't know. I don't, I, from what I understand, he's just an actor. I was going to ask you this. I don't know shit about him. Like, does he make music? Uh, And so I almost think. Like, she's giving him writing credits for, like, inspiration oh, and not stop. for actual work. I hate but that's that. just pure speculation. Anyway, my real thoughts on I this hope song. That's not true. Uh-huh. The first time I heard it, Honest to God, and Boney Bear's vocal came in, I was like, why is this guy doing it and not Alan Tate? Because he's fucking better than that. <laughs> okay, right. Also, cheaper. Like, like <laughs> exponentially cheaper. Like- cheaper. Not that they're trying to save money, but, like, I would have been the shitty cardigan equivalent of, like, they chose. Yeah, they chose the nice cardigan for the merch. Like, no, you choose the shitty one. Hello. Dude. I'm here. Yeah. I like Bon Iver, but I think his vocal performance is pretty boring most of the time. And I just think, like, really deep voice voices don't really know how to emote. And mm. I just think, Alan, you fucking do. <laughs> and I, it's hard to listen to a song that's about a breakup that's a conversational mm-hmm. thing. And it sounds like the guy uh, has taken too much oxy. Mm. Like, I just don't. <laughs> Did you really like Not her? My drug like, of were, was there a drug problem? I don't get it. I, right. I was just so, so shocked to hear any intelligible words out of, out of Justin's mouth. I was like, oh, those are lyrics. I hear them. Um, wow. Uh, but uh, I, I thought, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's always so funny listening to Boney Vera's. You think of him in his falsetto all the time, and then every now and then you remember, oh, actually, he's definitely a bass. Like, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. That also, it felt like a little bit of a choice where she was like, I like low vocals. And then they like looked at Matt, and then they were like, can't How about it. Bonnie Bear? <laughs> and like someone just yeah. A and R'd that. <laughs> yeah, so so Aaron did. So he she gave she sang this song, wanted it as a duet. The demo she sent him was her doing both parts. Uh-huh. 
And she was like, do you have like any thoughts on who we could ask? And he was like, well, I could ask Justin. And she was like, I'm a huge fan. That would be awesome. So he just asked him like, no pressure. Wow. Would you want to do this? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so again, who, because who turns again, this down? no one says, no one says no to Taylor Swift. Like who no says no? Say no, no, no one. I mean, he called me. I was, I was on the other line with my mom. I just, I was like, I'll call you back. And then by the time it was just, it was too late. <laughs> Dude, missed opportunity. Yikes. The other thing I feel about this song is I, I like it a lot. I like the bad breakup back and forth, like no one's really taking the blame kind of thing. She did this already on Red with The Last Time, also as a duet, but with Gary Lightbody of oh, Snow Patrol. Oh, right. She did this song already. But again, back to what I said before, is she goes back to old songs that she maybe thinks were not as good and tries to do it again. I think this is a much better version. Yeah. But she explored this theme already. So Yeah. So interestingly, I think now in retrospect that you see that she was doing all the her versions, which like in the big machine that is Taylor Swift, there's no way that there was much distance between when she was making this record and when she had the idea to be redoing all of those other records. I'm like, it wouldn't mm. even shock oh. me if those. Um, oh, interesting. But there are there are certain things that feel like revamps of the lines particularly from red i don't know but like even that yeah that um <clears throat> excuse me that levi's under the street light line sort of reminds yeah. me of the dancing in the kitchen in the refrigerator light same it's yes. like of all too well those yes. are like uh i don't know that it feels too uh they, they feel related in some in some kind of way and there's a few other moments i like agree that. yeah I, yeah. And I think it's interesting because that song, the Le- Le- Levi's, is about like going back and thinking on a relationship that's over and just thinking about what could have been. Mm-hmm. And all too well is about this crazy breakup. Like I feel like that is what she was thinking about, yeah. and maybe. maybe not so subtly was tying it back in. I don't the know. only thing I can say on that is that there are really only so many themes to sing about. You know, like and. Uh, I think especially when you know who you are as well as Taylor seems to know who she is as a songwriter, you kind of know what works for you, right? And like I know I, I yeah. know I have basically like three or four songs I know how to write. <laughs> like, and one of them know. is yeah, yeah, songs yeah. about frogs. Right, yeah, well the frog and the frog ones are not the super popular ones. I don't know what, what <laughs> happened really, but well, if you stop dismembering them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh no, you know, like I think you just kinda know who you are and like while uh you can try on different clothes and try different things like there is something to be said for the kind of the world building of hey every time you hop into a taylor swift song you kind of know the imagery you kind of know the like the emotional valence of this thing and honestly i feel in my own songwriting career that sometimes i've suffered from trying to sort of spread the aperture too wide on the, on those kind of mm. things right like okay we write this mm-hmm. we do this we do this we do all these th- different things and when you put on a stand for me song it's like well what are you going to hear honestly you don't even know who's going to be singing like you don't know what's going on mm. and i do think there's something smart and actually kind of relaxing about a songwriter who really knows what they give you and they do it every time so that's my only my only re- response to that is that it's like i think if she was i i do think that as I listened to folklore, I was, I wanted to hear some uh, some moments of a little bit more experimenting. But that said, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, I get why she while she sticks to her guns. It's like they're they're very effective guns, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If it ain't broke, 
The, they're very effective, and I've said this on a few episodes where I think I would be a very big fan of hers if she just edited more, and not even just, like, lyrically, musically edited, like, less songs. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like on an album like this, there's a handful of gems, and the rest is filler, and, I mean, look, she's Taylor Swift, she, can, she knows more than me, obviously, she can do what she wants, but I just think her strength is is like diminished by by more by filler things, songs by yeah. by having excess um and so as far as this song i think it's a good song but like you know we're revisiting an old idea i was startled with how low this man's voice was i'm not a big bonnie bear <laughs> fan i didn't know what to expect and i thought i was listening to the wrong like album i was like what's happening right now um though he goes up I, to, by the end he this one actually he starts really yeah. low and then yeah. he ends up in his yeah. chest voice and then a, you hear the falsetto the a and r guy outside the booth was like do the thing do, do the, the thing, thing. <laughs> yeah, do the- <laughs> well by the end it was much more comfortable to listen to when the two voices came together so i thought that yeah. was interesting it's a little long four minutes 45 seconds kind of long kind of sad kind of kind of a downer um, and then tropes were town, crown, and door. Mm-hmm. In general, mm-hmm. like I can recognize what makes it a good song, but I would not actively put this on. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to listen to this. I think it would be a good song if it was Alan Tate. I I stand by that statement. I, I, I'm, there we go. I'm legally obligated to support that claim. Um, the <laughs> yeah, I the only other part of this that made me feel a little weird is like it feels like in a to give like. If you want to co-write with your partner, like, great. Seems high risk, but just based on yeah. like music history. Um, but right. uh, giving him a weird pen name that feels like it might be someone's French bulldog's name, I feel very <laughs> weird about that. Like, What is a pen name again? Will, it William was, Bowery. Um, William Bowery. Like, like, truly that French bulldog, like, lives in New York. Like, he might <laughs> Dude, be in this neighborhood. Alan, like, that's... In a... And that is fucking hilarious. Parents. This is William yeah. Bowery, and uh, you know he like only gets his poop picked up in like gold leafed bags, like like right, that. Right. Just I was like, sorry, dude, how did you just like sit at dinner the next night and been like, so how'd you pick that name? Like, uh, right? Oh my, cool, that's cool. really funny because my so my best friend Caroline had a bulldog growing up, and his full name was Sir William of Heatherbull. There you go. There you go. There you go. Does that feel like a great distance from William Bowery? No, right. <laughs> no, it feels very close. Uncomfortably oh, close, very some close. might say. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Just, just right. like a weird energy to bring into the relationship. <laughs> I hear you. I think it's weird that he has credits on this album yeah. as well. Do you want to write weird. together? Sure. Uh, we're going to use a new name for you. We're going to call you Mr. William Bowery. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god maybe she calls him that in bed i actually don't uh, want to explore god, that don't. now that it came out of my mouth let's move on i don't want to talk about <laughs> it mm-hmm. um, uh number five my tears ricochet uh written by swift produced by swift antonoff and Allen. so he's on this one too okay he's on this one too so uh, she for this is the first song she wrote for this album should be noted. Oh. I also feel like uh, Chris Caraba could have written this song, and it could have been on a Dashboard Confessional album. I feel like that would have been a few better. songs on this album. Would've it would have been. It would have been. I do like this album though, but I like it because it's kind of uh, it's just kind of fucked up. So she's writing writing it from the perspective of someone's ex-friend showing up at their funeral, which is just fucking dark as shit. Is that what this is? Yeah, I was like, where are we? Can we yeah, they're at a funeral. Can we unpack that lyric? Because this is actually something that my girlfriend Cleo was, was asking about. All right. 
if if I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake? Like, what does that actually, literally, what does that line mean? If I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake? If we're not friends anymore, if we had such a bad breakup, if you hate me so much, why are you at my fucking funeral? Like, why even pretend that? that so it's like a t- it's like a Tom Sawyer watching his own funeral situation. That's like what's Con- going on. Yeah, okay, yeah, yes, yeah. Right. yes, and like classic. So the rumor is that that she wrote this song about Scott Borchetta, who is the head of Big Machine, who sold her masters to uh, Scooter Braun, mm, and no. their friendship ended over it. So that's who she wrote the song about. Um, it like, it's like, why is my name still in your mouth? Like after you've done this, yeah, thing? Okay. kind of thing. So for that, I like it. I, there's she has really good lines. You had to kill me, but it killed you just the same. Cursing my name, wishing I stayed. You turned into your worst fears. I like that a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much like lyrically, just lines, uh, Instagrammable lines in this song in particular that I really really like. And maybe this song is a miss, but for I, I really, I dig this song a lot. Hmm. This is the one that starts with like, it sounds like just Five Eliza's singing, right? It's like mm-hmm. all those like really, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's like really beautiful sort of like uh, vocal writing. And then I think Bryce did the, uh, the uh, string arrangements on this and I thought he did a really nice job in that there's like, after the hook lands, there's string stuff that's kind of off grid. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, I think... One of the things that I I quite like about the arrangements on this whole album is that they find little pockets to do stuff with the strings and with some saxophones and Mm -hmm. things later, but they do them in ways where it's like textural and it's kind of working against the like the click in a way. (laughs) Like, so there's this sort of stuff. And I think that it it adds this kind of like sinuous feeling uh, to it that I think gives this kind of, uh, it gives a little bit of that sort of sadness and and emotional depth that honestly i found kind of a i like the song a lot because i I just like the sounds in it i I, you said this is the first one she wrote right yeah for this album yeah yeah i wonder if the like most ambitious arrangement stuff happened on the first song and then they were just like cool 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 can you reel it in for the rest (laughs) of the record (laughs) so that one's that's that's for you good job okay we're gonna yeah. Let's pull it together. Can we have Betty right. now? Yeah, right. can we have Betty now? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a key change, but that's it. Yeah. What do yeah. you think, Kate? Overall negative. Sorry, guys. Negative first impression. <laughs> I think it's because I I was kind of expecting the tonality and the sonic of the first couple songs and this, and I was like, too much, too many things. Mm. Also, you can hear Antonoff. Now, now I just hear him, and I'm like, nope, turn it off. Like, not interested. I can hear his influence here. I feel like it's a little long. I do like lyrically how the chorus, the second line changes each time. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. The one line I pulled was crossing out the good years. There's just something about that to me that kind of resonated. I really like that. Um, no tropes, but she is drunk on pain. And that's about it. But for me, this is a skip. Not a fan. Don't like it. I, uh, yeah, I feel like not all Taylor spite songs are misses. I think she does a specific kind of spite song. Well, but mm-hmm. yeah, this, sure, I agree. but she, I feel like went into like this and this sort of aligns with the Chris Caraba could have done this song. She, I think treaded into, uh, like emo level spite. And I feel yes. like she doesn't quite have like, those aren't where her teeth are. Like, that's not right. like, that's not, it didn't have the setup to deliver the spite, so it just felt like uh, it felt like emo light to me in that kind of way. Um, Ooh, yeah. emo light, I like emo, that. Isn't that what yeah. we're basically writing? Uh, I mean, 
yes. with too However, many things in it. Yes. Just like you Kate guys said. are fat free emo. There's a difference between <laughs> yes. fat free emo and emo light. We're, yeah. like yeah. we're like one one percent emo yogurt. One percent, yeah. Um, <laughs> it. Still has a touch of it. Uh, oh, but to the Jack Antonoff point earlier, we made a, uh, a, a what sounded like a positive Lana reference, and I thought that yeah. the. I mean, there's that like joke about uh, Jack ended up getting passed around between every uh, pop star, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah. uh, I actually like a lot of the stuff that he did production-wise on some of the Lana records. Um, okay. But but I think that again, knowing your audience, knowing who you are, and knowing what kind of one-liner you're supposed to be delivering for their uh, their Instagram posts. Lana, right. and, Lana and Taylor are super different, like super, super, oh, super, yeah. super different. different. Um, so I feel like sometimes when it was like Lana energy on a Taylor song, it's like, oh, uh, like not yeah. all tricks work in all I don't places. like it. Yeah. 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 Totally but that's agree. why I don't like Jack Antonoff because I feel like he does blanket for every single person he works with. And that's not. Yeah. Like he can't tailor it with who he's working with. He can't, can't figure that tailor out. it. Oh, boom. Are boom. you a songwriter, Kate? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> a little bit. Cur- yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, Currently. All right, track six, Mirrorball. Mirrorball, uh, written by Swift and Antonoff, produced by Swift and Antonoff. This song is fucking stupid. Uh, I wish I could <laughs> Gabby, tell thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I learned something more about this during my research to redeem it because sometimes I'll find a gem of I was like, what it was inspired by and oh. it changes how, what you guys will think of it. But Taylor's literally comparing herself to a fucking disco ball. It's another weird ass chicken metaphor. It feels and it, it feels like after like a certain amount of time they got her to try her first joint. Like that, like that's like <laughs> maybe this is they were like, no, 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 just try like listen, you have nowhere to be for the first time ever. Just smoke it. And she was like, Okay, <gasps> what if I was a disco ball? <laughs> <laughs> It's just fucking weird. I feel like it's another weird metaphor that she's pulling really, really hard to try and fit into, like, what she thinks an indie folk song is supposed to be like. Mm. Yeah. And mm. it's just stupid. Formal, formally, there was, like, I thought there was, like, it was, it was, this was the only song up until maybe, what's that one, like, uh, uh, Epiphany, or is that what it's called? Is there a song called Epiphany? One of them is, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up yeah. until that song, this was the only song in the entire album where at at one point I was like, I'm not sure what part of the song I'm in right now. Um, mm. Which I don't think in this case was a good thing. I think that there was, there's a, some formal confusion going on. It's like the verse is kind of the hook. It's kind of the chorus. There's a weird bridge that's not very propulsive. And like, Ugh. I am all for, you know, messing around with the form of things, but this didn't feel like it was intentional. It felt a little bit uh, like it, it felt yeah, weird. Use some like she was trying to fit a puzzle piece that didn't fit. Yeah. And I don't know. There's a line that I pulled out. You're not like the regulars, the masquerade revelers, drunk as they watch my shattered edges glisten. What does that mean? I don't know what she's talking about. I don't need, I read that line too, and it just was like so much melodrama. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Yes. Like, stop it. Stop. It was like too. Ugh. But then, and sorry, I'm, I'm going to, I know Alan's still going to talk. Uh. But the, speaking of lyrics, what the fuck with the circus and the disco? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And what makes me mad is, musically, I was into this. We were going to a different place. It had, like, a shoegazy indie thing. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then the words start. And I'm like, what? who the fuck 
Stop. I was so angry. It just feels like such a wasted <laughs> opportunity because I should have hated it immediately because Antonoff is involved. <laughs> and I had a little bit of hope. And then she starts singing and I was like, fuck this song. Uh, I'm so mad. Um, <laughs> go, Alan, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, no, this is uh, it's it's su- support because uh, I know better th- to get into a crossfire. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, to your point earlier, and I'm sure this is like well documented on the Internet somewhere because it must be um, to your point earlier about you wish she edited more in general. Yeah. Her bad songs sometimes feel like, like I wonder how many songs she writes or how often she'll write a song, get significantly into it and then be like, ah, like, because the thing is you have such a safety net of knowing that like, there's not really a song that like, wouldn't at least stream in the top mm-hmm. one like you know like she, there, there's such a safety net there with her fan base that i wonder how many times it's like this song feels so ridiculous that it's like okay you chose a premise you started writing and then we just started trying to work backwards it's like it feels like we're inserting melodrama to give life to anyone giving a flying fuck that you're a disco ball it's like right. the production <laughs> it's like let's make this cool because jesus fucking christ if they hear the lyrics we're all gonna die like right like, like, right and it should it's like how did this not just get axed but if in general you know uh once she's i don't know like 25 percent into a song it just gets made that's and I right. mean, and I thought that uh, it was interesting that it's Evermore is the next one, right? Yeah. Which sort of felt like and was like rumored to be like all the songs that didn't make that record, but it's like yeah, but she still put it out. They did not make the record. They made it into a right, double fucking right. album. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's not that's not not making the record. Not making the record is still on my hard drive and no one's heard it. Like that's that's not right, making the right. record. I I would like that's uh, yeah. So yeah i don't know like i i would be curious to know how many times she just kills a song because i think in general if i have a like a gripe with her it's like there is quality control that if you turn on a taylor swift song with few exceptions it's never gonna be that bad like right it might not right. be my favorite i might not, might not hold my attention whatever but like there's just so there's much so quality. much craft right yeah. there's so much yeah. craft there's so much mm. quality control like who she works with all these kinds of things sure but at the same time i'm also never worried in the way that like i am with like sufyan or like some other people or even the national it's like there's a sort of heightened thing sometimes when you start their songs or other like songwriters i really like where it's like they might go for your throat and I feel mm-hmm. like with Taylor, I'm never worried that she's going to go for the throat. I'm never worried that I'm right. going to feel devastated at the end of that song. And like, not to say that there aren't like, you know, people scream crying these lyrics who really are touched by them. Yeah. But like, sure. Uh, like, yeah. I just like, I'm literally more worried about a Taking Back Sunday song fucking me up than I am about uh, right. that. Like, <laughs> uh, the, the actually, I mean, I, I don't want to jump ahead on our on our listening, but I did have a note on... Um, uh invisible string which i think Mm -hmm. is the best song in the album like that was uh, one of the things that i just really liked about that song is it's really the only time on this whole album basically that you feel like there are forces acting on her that are out of her control Mm. it's like time is acting on her it's like Mm. like this thing things are happening to her and there's a sort of like a giving in to the beauty of it and the sort of like um helplessness of that that's really exciting to hear from her because so much of her songwriting is like so hyper controlled and hyper it's like 
she like talk about someone who controls the narrative. It's just like this is always everything is through her narrative and her fingerprint is on every single thing. And often I think mm. some of my very favorite songwriters will actually let themselves. I mean, you know, like there's the, that Anthony and the Johnson song where it's like, hope there's someone who will take care of me when I die. And it's just like that is such a simple sentence that is mm. so terrifying compared to mm-hmm. all of these other things that are like that Taylor's saying that are kind of devastating or cutting, but in these much more controlled and very like right. present ways. So yeah. 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 This one, uh, yeah. I, so I sort of feel like with with uh, with a lot of these, while the point of view is extremely there, uh, sometimes the point of view doesn't allow, doesn't like release the grip enough to let something seep into it that was unexpected. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I hear you. But luck- luckily, Mirabelle is not at risk of any of those things, because what the fuck are we even talking about? <laughs> uh, all right. Numbers, track seven. Seven. Seven is written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner. I thought it was an interesting choice, starting off in a falsetto, and I don't I don't love it. But I think by the time we get to the chorus and she's singing regular, um, I'm back in, and then I'm good for the rest of the song. Uh, she wrote this song about one of her childhood friends, and then it's just kind of about, as a grown-up reflecting back on childhood and like the way that you thought you could easily solve your problems by just like running away to India. So for that, I kind of enjoy the introspection of it all. Has she been to India? Like what was no, that line? But I, okay. I, I think it's just an idea of like something that kids say like, well, let's just run away and pack a bag. She like, knew everything go. when she was young. Yeah. Well, yes. True. I was Precisely. wondering, and I didn't research because I didn't want, like, I, I don't like to get the influence beforehand. Mm. I was wondering if it was tied to the movie, or I guess it was a book too, Secret Garden. Because isn't that girl like she, the whole story's like about back in India, back in India? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I don't know. I wonder if that had any kind of influence. I, now on I it, fucking but. hope so because I love the Secret Garden. That's yeah, a right. Movie. Such a good movie. I but like Savage I Garden. That's also a different good, kind of garden. different, but good. Mm. Good garden. It's a different yeah. garden. <laughs> mm. um, I like the chorus a lot. Sweet tea in the summer. That's a good part. Yeah, sweet tea in the summer. Dun, dun, dun. This was my album. I think everyone's quarantine album when we first started emerging outside. So this was my like long walks in the park album mm. when I, you know, when we're still avoiding people. And I just always enjoyed getting to this song. It was like nice. setting the pace for my stroll. <laughs> What do you guys think? I didn't have much on this one. Yeah, like it, I, <laughs> okay. I was just like, it's whatever uh, song. Yeah, I like the little, the little, <laughs> little check. Net positive. It's a song. Yeah, there's like little, little vocal mordants on the on some of the, yeah. uh, the 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 melody writing. That's nice. I mean, the thing that's so fun about her melody writing all the time. I mean, it, and this is such a constant with all the best songwriters. It's like Julian Casablancas, like for the for the Strokes. It's it's different, but there's this geometric understanding of melody line that's just so clear it's like here's the chunk you know whatever this Mm. melody is it's going to move here it's going to come back down here and then taylor's so good at like a little a little thing here and there like she'll do a little a little uh emotional sort of uh riff but she's never she's not doing like beyonce riffs or anything like that where it's about the way i sing is this it's like uh it's like she has written this song and it structurally works. This melody, you could play that on a piano and it would be the same every single verse. You know, there's something right. really, really structural about the way that she writes her melodies that I, I think is really great. And you can definitely kind of, uh, throughout all the best songwriters, I think you can sort of see that kind of, or at least the most um, yeah. successful songwriters. Yeah, I mean, and even that that goes back to that sort of like 
craft thing of like that feels like Doctor Luke level, yeah, you know, totally formulaic mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's like this works, this is effective, and like if if nothing else, like uh, Taylor as a songwriter, Taylor at all as uh, makers of music, uh, the Taylor Factory, like that's uh, it's a finely tuned machine, like mm-hmm. yeah, you know, again that that that's sort of the uh beyond the fan base that's the other thing is like yeah there is just quality control on a level where like you're not just gonna hear something go uh, like even mirror ball it's like there's still lots of things like trying to save that into like it's listenable like if you you, honestly that song gets worse the more closely you listen but like if it's on in the background you're kind of like like, it's fine right right Um, but yeah this song I was kind of like, it doesn't really do for me, do that much for me. It is the track number and the title, which I was like, again, I, I was like, like, that's why she didn't cut it. That's the only yeah, reason yeah, why. Honestly, like, it's yeah. called seven. It's going to be track seven. Right. Like, yeah. I, like it's like, okay. you know, come on. You're, you're, uh, even your boyfriend as a co-writer got, a, got a special name. You couldn't find one for this song. Like, right. get, like <laughs> just phone it in already. Yeah. I, overall, like, I kind of, it's a, like, it's okay. I don't hate it. But I did make a note that this is how I imagine the whole album to sound. Like, when we got to this song, I was like, oh, here it is. Like, this is what I was expecting. Mm. Don't know if that's a positive or a negative, but this was where I was like, okay. I actually kind of like the first verse, lyrically, vocally, but I literally feel like that's not her singing it. If you listen to the first verse and the second verse, it sounds like a different person. And I meant to look this up. There's a Lady Gaga song, and I, it's one of her big ones, where I have the same issue. I don't know if they recorded it on different days or maybe the setup was different, but it straight up sounds like a different person is singing it. So every mm. time I hear this, I want to listen to the verse verse, and then I want to turn it off. Mm. I don't want to hear anything else. Like, that's the part that I like the most. Mm. So, mm. Um, And the only trope was Dad, which we haven't heard in a while, but Dad. Mm. Maybe she was mad at him for a while, and then by the time she got to track seven, they made amends. Mm. Maybe. It's possible. Track eight, August, which is also the eighth month. I had that note, yes. Once again. She's so tricky. Um, written by <laughs> Swift and Antonoff, produced by Swift, Antonoff, and Allen. The production on this song is a lot meatier than on previous tracks, so I thought it was an interesting halfway mark for the album. I almost thought, like, from this point forward, because she does this a lot, like, halfway through, she changes direction a little she bit does. yeah uh sonically so i thought that's what was going to happen here but it's not really what happened so it's just interesting that it's the middle but then now knowing that it's jack antonoff i understand the last half of this song from the bridge to the outro is the best part of the song when she's like remember when i pulled up and said get in the car like that's the best part i have literally the opposite note i said this really is me at the bridge yep weird yeah now no, we have the beginning fight. for me is like whatever interesting this one i just i gave it I gave it props for sliding some secret Barry Sacks into there without anyone turning it off. So, oh, yeah. You know, honestly, <laughs> that's that's been like half of my goal as a songwriter is to just sneak Barry Sacks into things without anyone yeah. realizing. So That's uh, a good mission. Yeah. That's a good and mission. And also there's a bunch of reharmonizations in this, which is like kind of interesting. It felt like as soon as she did that, it felt like, okay, so this is definitely not a single. Um, but I don't know. Someone's Someone's has a has a musical idea here and is you know doing something a little bit different than some of these other songs so but that was kind of nice yeah. but this is also both this and seven i felt like were uh kind of just middle of the album songs and then i think there's some coming up that i that i really got into more yeah, yeah but track six seven and eight i could do it easily mm-hmm. just take them right out yeah yeah i was gonna say this this is where like uh uh 
I had to be more intentional about listening, which is probably not a good yeah. sign for it. Mm. But uh, yeah, well, so I think we've stopped flagging them after we talked about Cardigan being the first single. But what were the other singles on this? Exile she only and had, Betty. Exile. And Betty. She only had three. Normally, she'll have like six singles, and I've noticed with this album and the last album, she kind of pairs it down. Hmm. She doesn't have as many. Okay. They also don't seem to have any effect on the streaming because it's like every single song is streamed exactly the same amount of times on this yeah. album. Right? Yeah. 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 I noticed that too. Yeah. This was like, so I think when this came out, it was July of the Panini. Everyone just wanted the, an entire album for some right. odd reason. We were all just like depressed as fuck. Yeah. For, for some odd for reason. Some <laughs> I wonder why. Some inexplicable reason. I wonder yeah. why. I, yeah, I don't know. Like this, this was another yeah. one where I was like, even that bridge. It's like I agree, Gabby. It feels like th- that feels like where my it my attention snaps back in, but also mm. it feels a little bit not quite like a hail mary, but like they got to that point in the song and they're like, okay, like give me a cookie, yeah. right? right? And like right, that's right. the point of it. Which I I guess as a listener, I'm like, yeah, but like I kind of want more of a cookie than that if I just sat mm. through what I sat through in the beginning of the song. But I don't know. Yeah. Mm. The only real note I had is that I think this track is kind of a good example of her trying to merge the pop tendencies with this new sound. But like, sure, yeah. I'm not even really sure what the new sound is. And I don't know if she knows what the new sound is. So I just kind of recognize like, all right, we're pulling the pop in, which is okay. It's a little long at four minutes, 21. She mentions a bottle of wine. She mentions door and to get in the car. But otherwise, like not particularly memorable. Like yeah, I easily not... could have done without it. Get in, loser. We're going to track nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, track nine. Uh, this is me trying. Written by Swift and Antonoff, produced by Swift, Antonoff, and Allen. This song is really dark, and I think Kate, you you mentioned that you you think the drinking references could be a problem. I think this song is a problem, or at least this makes me worry crazy. about her a little she got bit. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> the lyric is "Pull the car off the road to the lookout." Could have followed my fears all the way down. And maybe I don't quite know what to say, but I'm here in your doorway. Like, I'm glad you ended up at his doorway. Ooh. But, like, fuck. Like, that's in, that's intense, um, I think. Was going to jump, but, but I decided to come over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why are you telling them that? Like, uh, what do I do now that you're at my doorway? I like I liked how her uh, lyric writing, or her the, the cadence of the lyric writing on this followed the emotional sort of jumble of it in a nice way it was like yeah yeah here's the thing here's the thing here's the thing and here i'm trying and it's like it's you know sort of lands on this and that's yeah. something that i think she does really well often is like she always even as she's thinking geometrically about these these melodies and making sure everyone can sing them back to her right away she's also following i think often the emotional arc of the line and this is just a really obvious example of that because it's like mm-hmm. you just you stumble down these stairs and you end up in, a, in a, a doorway and i thought that was nice yeah yeah i like that about it too but i think um all in all it's just okay i wish you i feel like i i i totally hear what you're saying alice that this the she's trying and she's you can tell she's trying in the way she structured it i just wish it was better <laughs> yeah it's not that good well, she's trying gabby um i know <laughs> and that's the thing she's trying this is I her do, trying i do love the line they told me all of my cages were mental so i got wasted like all my potential i know that's instagrammable 
Mm-hmm. But I, totally. again, I mean, I'm the target audience. That sounds like a like a sound, SoundCloud rapper line. That's like yeah, like, yeah, it does. Yeah. I also love uh, and my words shoot to kill when I'm mad. I have a lot of regrets about that. Which I is wrote something that one she's down. saying about since uh, on Lover. She's saying about that a lot, like holding herself accountable for the bullshit that comes out of her mouth sometimes, mm. which I enjoy just as like seeing her grow up a little bit. But I just wish this song was good. It's not that good. I. Yeah, ah, yeah. I I actually think that like if you're going to like as a maybe not a prompt, but like um like the seed of a song of like this is me trying. I actually think that's like really ripe. Uh, so yeah. like I think there's a lot of ways that that could have real teeth to it, and like that's an interesting uh just concept. Like I think people can be really fucking up but sometimes like if you can tell they're trying like that what that makes acceptable and like all these sorts of things like i think that is incredibly ripe i think the rest of the song yeah it's just sort of also like my words shoot to kill it's like taylor if i like if my life depended on me imagining you roasting anyone right <laughs> i would die like or like right. i we would all be dead it's like yeah. literally insult and like what do you mean your words shoot to kill like your words are like yeah. water gun at best what are we talking about right. Like, right i disagree i think that when taylor's pissed she can deliver a fucking well, line that okay cuts. i'll wait so the reason <laughs> i wrote down that line gabby is because i was thinking about when we did reputation with evan and he brought up the whole court case thing and quoted her from that yeah and he was saying like i think when she's not being taylor like being the superstar she can be a bitch like she can get pretty real and she can probably have some moments where it's not recognizable and so i wrote down that line because it made me think of that like maybe she said something really fucked up to someone that she would never like no one would ever recognize as her saying and in that part i was kind of intrigued like okay but then I wrote down after reading the lyrics, it doesn't actually sound like she's trying that hard. Like I was trying to figure out like what you've done and I was like, uh, you're saying it, but I don't see any evidence here of what you've tried. Like this doesn't feel real. As far as tropes, we're in the car. She mentions doorway. She mentions town. She got wasted like her potential and she did not pour the whiskey. So kind of trope heavy. But I was just like unimpressed Listen, with her Kate, attempts. It was a it was a pandemic. We were all drinking every day except you. Not me. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> But uh, she could have tried harder, as far as I'm concerned. I, I wasn't think impressed. you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's let's keep going. <laughs> Track ten: Illicit Affairs, written by Swift and Antonoff, produced by Swift, Antonoff, and Alwyn. So this is the same team for like the last three songs. This is another song that I'm like, is this Chris? Is this a Chris Caraba song that they're covering? Okay. First, right. first of all, on title alone, that should have been on a, title alone. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's, a <laughs> it's not a band name. Song. It's at least an album title. Like, it's a come totally. on, totally. Yeah. yeah, for for sure. There's a reason Dashboard has has survived since. I mean, I feel like of all those indie band, uh, emo bands from that era, Dash, oh, Dashboard yeah. has continued to like sort of have a have a place in people's imagination. Oh, I yeah. think because actually the songwriting is really solid. Yeah, while he, while he, being he writes for tons of people. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm obviously a Chris fan. But yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a, a dashboard song. It's very emo. Uh, a song about cheating, which, cool. And her first song about cheating was Should Have Said No off of album one. Way better. Which I don't know if you guys are familiar. I agree it is way better, but it's interesting to... Well, like, Should Have Said No is like a cheater anthem and like, a, it's fuck you, you should have yeah. said no, you shouldn't have done this to me. Whereas like, now we have a song about cheating that's a little more 
sympathetic mm-hmm. where she's a little more understanding that relationships from all sides are complicated mm-hmm. and kind of how this could happen um which i love i love that that's you know eight albums before she wasn't saying the same thing um yeah. so it's a little some growth that i love to see from her and i really love the bridge i can't remember how it goes but i wrote the words down you showed me colors you know i can't see with anyone else and you taught me a secret language i can't speak with anyone else i think those are both really good lines this is one where the calf tattoo lines in it i actually thought were like one degree more um thoughtful like mm. i thought that the i forget exactly what the lyrics are but when it's like and it, it changes every time, but it's like uh, illicit affairs. They, uh, it like it shows you truth one time, and then or what? What is it like? It's, it's uh, what, what? Does anyone have the lyrics in front of them? Uh, yeah, the first chorus is, and that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings and longing stares. It's born from just one single glance, but it dies and it dies and it dies a million little times. Oh my god, those are dashboard. Yeah, that lyrics, is like that like... is with one of my last dying breath. I would I would apologize for bleeding oh on your my shirt. God. No, but really, I really, yeah. I just, I really. That's taking back Sunday. That's taking back Sunday. I know, I know, I know, I yeah. know. Honestly, it's but more of like, yeah. it's like uh, uh, you smile like a saint, but you curse like a sailor. And I think the yeah. joke's on me. Does like Dashboard that's... have a song where they use the word clandestine? Because I feel I like, feel they, like do. they do. I was thinking um, it might be in Turpentine Chaser or something like that. Like there's, it's definitely, it feels like I've heard those lyrics before. Also that yeah. the bridge with the, uh, the you showed me colors and like all that kind of thing. I was like, yeah. this feels like um, the beginning of John Mayer daughters. Like, mm. uh, like you, Ooh, you put the color inside of my world. Like the, uh, like, mm. like, I don't know. I, I, this was a rough stretch. I feel like of the album where again, re-editing, it's like, I, I really wonder how, like, I want to see, or at least know that some songs, they were like, nah, this one's just not there. And, like, I don't mean, like, this one's forevermore. <laughs> like, I mean, right, like, right, right. like, <laughs> right, right. like still on the hard good. drive. That's yeah. what I want to know. Which, like, right. maybe it is. She's certainly prolific, so I would believe it. But uh, sometimes you get the feeling with what does make it through that, like, Really? Uh, I feel like that hook is, like, pretty strong. Like, that idea is a, an interesting thing to to uh get into i honestly felt like when i was listening to this one that the way that they produced it too like she's it's just her there's not a ton of harmony if i remember right it's just like one voice it yeah. it seemed actually this one feel, felt like if she was trying to do the like indie folk thing this was like she, this was her putting herself out there in that way where it's just one it's just her voice she's telling the story about this yeah. affair she feels kind of mixed about it i don't know i actually i was i was on board for it because like it, it felt less yeah. pop produced in a way too it just felt like it was a uh a song you could imagine really easily her playing on the you know piano or on the guitar or something yeah mm-hmm. i agree i like it I didn't, I don't know. I didn't really love it. The individual lines, I think, are interesting and good. And I, I didn't know exactly what it was about, but I kind of wrote, like, does this mean anything? Like, I, I don't know. Mm. It kind of felt, like, rambly to me. I don't know. The one line I picked out, which is not super, in like, there's just something about it that I like. And you know damn well I'd ruin myself for you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like that, but, but I'm hearing dashboard. So now I'm just kind of like... Did you write this? I don't know. There's no tropes. But to Alan's point from before, and I was going to say this, not only is she not great about editing herself, like, I also think everyone who works with her is just afraid to be like, this is not your best. And I mean, like, if I was Desner, I wouldn't say shit. I'd be like, yep, put it on there. You like it? Let's put it on. But I feel like she doesn't have enough songwriters in her life who are like, 
don't put this one out. Like, this one's for you in your home. Like, don't put this out. So, you know? I, I, or, like, finish it. Or, yeah. or, like, go back. It's not ready. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Uh, so, I ironically, that makes me think of a story about Jack Antonoff. So, uh, he, I heard him on a podcast one time talking about um, when he got called to work on, I think it was 25 for Adele. Um, okay. And he's like, and I'm sitting there, and she does the first vocal take, and it's obviously fucking perfect. And then I'm just sitting there going, Do I have the balls to ask Adele to do another <laughs> take, or do I have the balls to go back to the label with one take of the vocal? Like, right. which one of these? <laughs> right. Like, do I want to do? So he was like, They end up asking yeah. me to do one single more take. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't like, I don't know. It just, again, it's like, it, here's a song about cheating that's meant to be more complex than just cheating is bad. Like, okay, mm-hmm. great. Like we've shown growth, but it's sort of like, again, I never feel at risk of. Like, the where's te- the heartbreaking line? Yeah, like, uh, like I never yeah, really right. feel at risk of anyone going for the throat. So now I'm like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. like, and they lie, and they lie, like, uh, like <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. like, I, like, fine, like, well done. Yeah, I don't know, but like, I just. I never really feel at risk in the way that I like to with mm-hmm. um, with certain kind of things or even in the way like and I think this is true like at risk doesn't necessarily need need to mean like that I feel like I'm going to be devastated by it like I think in good like rap music uh, I'm listening in a way where like I'm waiting for the uh, you know, the metaphor that unfolds in that line and then gets carried over to the next one. And it's like the line right. hits you after the fact. I'm listening right. in a closer way because I'm engaged and I feel like it could happen at any moment. Like the way you watch, uh, you know, good athletes, it's like you're watching them when they're doing nothing because at any moment they might do something incredible. And I feel mm-hmm. like with Taylor, I'm amazed by the whole but I'm never really watching to see if yeah. she's going to do something incredible. And like, mm. that's like a totally valid career, obviously. Like she's a, sure. she's I a mean, singular hey. artist, but like it does sort of just take this whole level of excitement off the table. Mm. Uh, and I feel right. like that's, right. that's sort of where I, yeah, yeah that's I, like the outer limit. Yeah. yeah. My, my, I, have, I remember having a conversation with my friend Ben about this, where he was just talking, not about Taylor, but he was talking about the music that he really, that he finds himself the most alive while he's listening to is music where anything it feels like anything could happen at any time right Mm -hmm. and even uh within that i mean like for example i mean an example of that in the pop sphere was probably yeezus right where it felt like this there's this album that at any moment in the song the the song could be ripped apart and it could go totally some other crazy place but Mm -hmm. like there's uh you know even if the language of your songwriting is more controlled than that and it's and it's not anything could happen at any time, but like something really, uh, you know, emotionally intense could happen at any time within the scope of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think that's even right. like the same yeah. sort of thing. I, th- yeah. I think Blonde does that for Frank. Yeah. Uh, like, I think yeah. that's totally a record where like, uh, yeah, it's not like going to go off the rails and like there's certain stuff that we're talking about and whatever, but I'm just, I'm engaged in this way where like I'm watching so that I don't miss anything. And mm, well, right. he also does that thing where he'll let his voice, like every now and then he'll let his voice show like really crazy emotion where yeah. it'll go like way sharp or yeah. way flat yeah, yeah, yeah. and like taylor that obviously is not happening in her right yeah it's just uh, you know which is which is sort of fine but uh it's yeah. just a different thing yeah yeah, yeah i don't know the, i think the other thing too about her writing these sort of loosely emo style songs is that like i think some of the charm of emo is like 
uh, it's like guys who have never had girlfriends writing as though they just broke up with somebody, and you kind of <laughs> right. know that at the same time. <laughs> it's like, I'd fucking kill myself for you, Becky, and it's like, why don't you try talking to her first there, all right, buddy? Right. Like, let's... <laughs> Let's let's reel it That's in. An easier solution. Let's here. let's slip her a yeah. note in class or like make eye contact. I don't know. Let's try something like Give that before try. we like bleed yeah. on our shirt for her. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very dramatic. But that's Taylor. She's a very dramatic she person. Is. Yeah. She is. Yeah. Um, oh, all right, track 11, Invisible String. Invisible String, written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner. I really love this song. I, I, I like that she's making connections with love to colors again. She calls back to this all the time. She does. And I feel like she's she hasn't done it too much, but she's done it enough in a way that when I'm listening to this song, I, I feel like I'm speaking the same language as her. Like, I understand what she's saying, mm-hmm. knowing that she when she talks about love visually, it's always some kind of color. So mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, and I, lo- I just love the idea of, like, this string that ties you to someone just through fate it's Mm -hmm. kind of fantastical and and very sweet but i in some way i believe that about every single person in my life Mm. that i i was meant to have them some way and whether we can just say i love you guys (laughs) i mean i'm meant to know each and every single one of you in the way that i know you so i love that gabby moved to the gabby moved to the west coast because she saw that the strings that connected us were not that important Mm. so she snipped Mm. them and flew away stretching that string quite far well i I was actually this goes to a Mm. goes to a thought i was gonna say on the last song and it definitely feels like it's a thing here because i actually think you're we're talking about different types of songwriters i think taylor swift is actually just inherently very theatrical like she's yeah like she's really like a musical theater kid in a way like the way that totally. she totally and this i mean that concept the invisible uh in this case string i mean there was a show on broadway uh four years ago where the the big hit from the broadway show was invisible thread it was like and it's exactly the same thing it's like there's a invisible thread from my head to your head i, f- I forget what yeah. the lyrics were and like yeah the, i think often the way that she there's a pretty big venn diagram cross-section between the people who love taylor swift and the people who love like classic musical theater songwriting like so, yeah know. and uh and i thought like, what i really liked about this one which i did say before was just that it felt like she wasn't quite so focused on talking about herself and her way of, and and the way that the world looks through her eyes. And it was actually like, you've sort of, you get the image of this park that they're walking through. and Yeah, t- she drops you in. Yeah, she does yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she that, wants to drop you into a place. And that time itself actually has like a plan for everyone in it. And that there's this sort of sense of almost like existential beauty to the song that to me feels by far the closest that she comes to uh, uh, <laughs> admitting that she's not in charge of everything, you know, um, mm, yeah. which I thought was nice. And also it is just, it's just funny to hear a Sufjan song with a, with a uh, Taylor Swift vocal on it, <laughs> which is like totally what the song <laughs> is. <right>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like uh, the fact that this one exists on the album confused me about like six of the other ones where I was like, how in the group like how was the quality control like uh mm-hmm. meter set such that this one we were like yeah. definitely and then also mirrorball we were like for sure like let's yeah. like <laughs> like let's Earlier do it in the lineup yeah. right yeah like <laughs> well, I, I, I like yeah I, it's hard yeah because this song's yeah. so good and then it's like this is on the same album as mirrorball yeah. like how it, it feels um 
even the like the maturity of the songwriting feels yeah. it, it's yeah. much more like considered and I feel like it is it is melodramatic. I think it's like fairly melodramatic to be talking about fate at all ever, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. but the melodrama is like measured. It then like if you're using it in central concept, it is not then like heaved upon over and over and over again in a way that like even illicit affairs despite the title sounding like it needs to be an emo song it's like then it sort of feels like the foot is taken off the pedal in this weird way or in mirrorball mm. where like you totally whiffed on concept and then you're dumping the language on on top this one yeah. feels like this one just feels like such smart like the alchemy of the whole song is so smartly put together where it's mm. like it's not over the top you're dropped in uh, but it feels, yeah, like I, it, it I, also is literally classic. Like the yeah. the idea of the seasons being tied to mm-hmm. you know a love affair and the and the seasons cha- yeah. changing as it goes over. I mean, it's like it feels yeah. like Sondheim or something, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. just very, yeah. yeah. I like it too. I like that it's simple. I like that it's catchy, but not in your face. Um, I wrote that in a weird way. It makes me think of her early songs, but I think that's the storytelling element that we kind of haven't seen. Like it's a more mature way to revisit that as opposed to like the literal story. No, none of the traditional tropes. She does mention the dive bar. And I did make a note about her use of color. I'm kind of personally getting tired of the color. She mentions blue in like the last 45 songs, the word, the color blue. But I do (laughs) think it's appropriate for this song. And I kind of wish, like, that's the editing I'm talking about. Like, do the color metaphor here. Take it out of somewhere else. Like, it can't be in all the songs and have the same effect. Um, But overall, yeah, I was surprised with how much I like this one. Track 12, Mad Woman. Mad Woman, written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner. I like this song. I, I... I like any time she writes from, like, a real female, like, a definitive female perspective, and she's letting us know. Like, I really... What's the one that I like on the last album that you didn't like? The Man. Ugh. I like that that song, too. I know you hate it. Um, I also... There's so much of it that I can relate to. Every time you call me crazy, I get more crazy. Like, do you want to fight? Don't say that to me. Like, the hoops right, will right, come right. out. If, like, that's... The, don't do that. Like, what? I also love the line... Now I breathe flames each time I talk. My cannons all firing at your yacht. Like, who the fuck are we talking about? I have to (laughs) know who. Like, what? What did he do? I want to know everything. Um, And I think it ties a little bit back to the character she's singing about in Last Great American Dynasty. Like, I feel like it's an extension of that woman. I do like that parallel, yeah. Which I like a lot. Yeah, I just love the idea of, like... This this assumption that women are supposed to be a certain way and like like nice and soft, um, but you know don't poke the bear. Like I will I will beat the shit out of you. I like Is, that. Doesn't too. she literally say that? Isn't bear yeah. in the lyrics? Yeah, yeah. You'll poke the bear till her yeah. claws come out. Mm. There's nothing like a mad woman. It's true. We'll end you. <laughs> There's nothing like a mad woman. Um, so I I dig it. Yeah, I thought it was really strongly written. I think it's like one of those where the craft kind of shines through um mm. you know i felt like i've heard her sing this song before maybe i was thinking of the man or i think there's been yeah. a, a few like that um but it's well observed for the thing so like i don't know like as soon as the song started you know i felt like okay i, I know exactly what i'm in for here uh so i didn't feel surprised and yeah you know but at the same time i think there were some lines in there that made me like um that's that felt well observed and i'm sure that this is something that she comes a up against a lot in an industry where there's so many voices who are, you know, trying to control your music. And, and certainly she's talked a lot about this. Um, 
so i thought it was i thought it was well done but uh didn't necessarily have the like uh, emotional resonance that some of the other ones did for me uh but yeah it might be because you don't mm-hmm. have a vagina i was gonna say i might gonna... i might be it might be a little bit of a perspective thing yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh i like this song yeah in general like certainly more than like some of the other ones because i think like clarity of purpose was totally yeah. there um I also thought that the um, tying it back to the I'm totally blanking Great American Dynasty mm-hmm. again could yeah. have been an emo title um, or band name. Um, <laughs> this is Holistic Affairs by the Great American Dynasty. They're definitely from Long Island. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're definitely from Long they're Island. Definitely for from sure. Long Island. Um, but I uh, this song was like uh, I thought an interesting thing about this song is that the hook. Um, I think both of them have a sort of there's like empowerment about being a woman who's hated for like things that a man could totally get away with or whatever but there's also like a lament to it Um, Mm. like I think that no one likes a metal woman like it sort of settles on this place where Mm. it's like Mm -hmm. if that's a Katy Perry song it's like no one likes a bad woman. No one like like it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. gonna end yeah, yeah, going yeah. like forward <laughs> yeah. and up like charge. And this one feels sort of right, like right. it's like uh, even that call me crazy get more crazy. Like it always feels like it sort of settles. Yeah, she back. feels yeah. like she's been like dealing with this for long enough that there's a little bit of a there's a repetition to the way that the singing that that, that the melody line works even where yeah. it feels like it's like God haven't we been talking about this for a long time? Yeah, which I think actually that does really work nicely. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. like it just sort of it it doesn't have like forward energy like gabby i think of like your mad woman song as sounding more like knuck if you buck um you know what i mean like <laughs> mine is not mine is actually <laughs> it, it, it in fact that's is right. um but it's something that's like meant like right, it's charge. not roar <laughs> right and this is no right, right exactly exactly and i was like oh other artists would have done this a different way and again i think it's like I think my gripes with Taylor, like I, it's the same thing as like, um, what was the line about, uh, like I shoot bullets with my words or whatever that, uh, mm-hmm. like whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's like, I actually believe, uh, and certainly in seeing that documentary and like other stuff, it would be nearly impossible for her not to be a complex person who actually is probably yeah. fairly interesting and like has been through a ton of shit and like all this other kind of stuff. So it's like, even putting in the emotional depth of like a threatening line, like no one likes a mad woman or you're going to poke a bear or whatever, and then have it undercut by it sort of being resolved in that it's like, Oh, there's emotional depth there. So why are we writing those other songs that well, like feel yeah. like, yeah, well, she has that same problem that like Jay Z had after a certain period of time where there's just a relatability issue when like, like Jay Z, when he's like, look at all my shit. And it's like, right, I own yeah. all these Kahind Wiley paintings or whatever. You're like, you're like, we yeah, don't. And it's like, I, I don't know <laughs> right. what they look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. I've literally right. never seen yeah. that person. The, can- like, the cannons right. are pointed at a yacht and, mo- and the listeners yeah. are like, what's a yacht? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I do think, I do think that there's a little bit, I mean, this is just built into the like American fame machine, you know, and, and the kind of, uh, musicians who get to a certain level. I mean, this definitely happened to Eminem, right? Where it was like at the beginning, Eminem. It was like so exciting to hear him talk about who he was and his like just the way he, his virtuosity was so exciting. And then at a certain point, you're like, what was he just saying? Venom over and over again. Like, what is he even going? He's like trying to be angry, but he's, you know. And I think it's yeah. really hard for uh, for 
popular artists when they get really popular to still be able to put their finger on relatable things yeah. for everyone without it being stuff something like this right where it's like okay you know what like she has come up against all this stuff as a woman and like this makes sense and that is an extremely relatable thing for you know a huge portion of the population and i think that was and she does a really good job of um articulating that but yeah like i i definitely like last great american dynasty i i really had a funny time listening to that because i i quite like it i think the songwriting's great but it's also just like this is the whitest song you could possibly like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the like you know yeah. it's just so fancy and it's like i know i know that area of of where, where she's talking about and so i don't know it's patrons just, it's of the arts have it so hard you know that's like <laughs> they're so hard come on like name a group but who i think suffered taylor more. <laughs> Yeah, I think Taylor right. does like she definitely does. There's things that are unrelatable because of her life, but I think she does a decent job of trying to totally. tie in yeah. something that everybody yeah. else can. Relate I think so to. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, and a lot of time that that's that's in the one line. It's the one liners yeah. that allow for that. That like mm. sort of if the concept of the song doesn't. But there's also I think. Uh, Another thing that she does a lot is like she writes about being young a lot because like when in doubt, what's a thing everybody like everybody yeah. was or is young. Everybody was seventeen. Right. Um, my mother in law, in fact, when, uh, was at one when we were home when this album came out for like a number of months, um, and she at one point goes, she goes, I it it's fine, but like as a grown woman, how many times can you write about high school? <laughs> <laughs> Kate has said that many times. Like, yeah, I have said a fair, this. a fair few apparently. Oh. I, well, I mean, if Olivia Rodrigo taught us anything, how many times can a grown woman listen to high school is infinite. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> it's true. Like, that's it's true. like, and I can't yeah, even parallel don't. park, and like my, you know. uh fully grown up uh, girlfriend is just like neither can I which as a New Yorker is an issue Yo, that Olivia Rodrigo album is a banger oh, yeah. banger after banger it's so good it's, it's so really good, good. Uh, but I, I agree with a lot of what we said here I love the concept of this song I just don't feel like it gets fully there I don't know and it, we've talked a lot about her likability her relatability and sometimes she just like loses me um, in terms of technical stuff, I hear Lana Del Rey here again in the vocals, which I'm into because I feel like it fits the mood. Totally into that. The simplicity of the line, no one likes a mad woman, you made her like that. I think that's very cool. But again, that's like the Instagrammable thing we've talked about. But then there are some lyrics like, I just don't know what the fuck she's doing. It says, do you see my face in the neighbor's lawn? Like, what does that mean? And then there was a lyric, does she say fuck you forever? And I was like, I feel like you're trying to be weird for the sake of being weird. And then we get into this chorus where it's like not weird at all. So it's like almost hitting the mark, but I don't know. And it, we've seen this idea before. So again, would I've said this about a few of her albums. I feel like this would have been a much stronger EP. Five songs, keep it to five and put it out there. And this would not have made it. Like definitely would not have been on there. Harsh. So. It's way harsh, Ty. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> way harsh time. Um, all right, track thir- track thirteen, Epiphany. Swift and Desner produced by Desner. My first note it says here war question mark. It wasn't until I listened to the bridge that I understood that this song is about dreams, and then it made sense to me. Oh, I was because in the bridge they're going, they're dreaming to escape their reality mm. that is in the verses. Okay. Oh. Okay. I like the uh... and so then I understood it, and then I was like, "Let me go back and listen to this song," 
And then my final note is I can do without this song. I can't remember it at all. Ah. I can't remember a damn thing about After it. After figuring like it out wise, during the bridge, re listening. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have complete, I'm looking at the lyrics right now and I'm like, I don't know how this goes. Uh, I don't know. This is, yeah. this is, it's funny you say that, Gabby, because this one was the one that musically was the strangest to me and therefore like stood out immediately. Like, mm. and so I can't, mm. I'm not sure I could sing back the melody or anything about what the song was about, but I remember there being like a lot of like strange chordal suspensions. Like there's a, there's yeah. a half note melody for a while where she's just like singing these long sort of slow tones. And so I felt like listening to it, I was like, Oh my God, this is absolutely a different thing than the rest of this album. And so I'm happy for that. Um, but maybe it suffers from the, as like Alan and I call it, like the interludeitis that that I I suffer from as a songwriter, where I'm like, this is a new thing. It's a weird interlude, and Alan's like, cool. You know, eighty five percent of the people who listen to this are going to just skip that. So, um, but I, or, I liked or it. Like Gabby, they're going to be like, what the no. fuck? Listen again and go, no. But I I, li- I liked <laughs> two listens. Yeah. I liked it for its for its uh, experimental sort of quality, and that she was going for something a little different. I thought that the um, uh, yeah, there was there was some some nice stuff in the way that the keyboards were sort of layered the piano sounded great and so i don't know i thought that was cool yeah pretty hard skip for me i like i like i yeah it's completely forgettable to me completely forgettable i i'm sorry yeah like there are certain artists for whom i'm willing to like try and toil over what the song's about uh, taylor is not one of them because us- usually it's served up mm. pretty clearly so if it's not I'm yeah like, for sure what are we doing mm-hmm. but I actually had, but I had similar notes to Ellis. My first note is I applaud her for trying something different. Like this That's is obviously her, this is her trying. So, so yeah. <laughs> this is her trying, not that other one, not that other one. So uh, I, I do like that. There is something about the lyrics. I didn't get the dream thing until you said it, Gabby. There's something that's mysterious and deep about them. But I think because we're used to her clear storytelling and intent, it kind of lost me. Yeah. I was like, now you're just getting like surrealist to be surreal. Um, it did make me think of, though, musically, Sarah Bareilles has a song, Once Upon Another Time, where she's playing a harmonium. And if you're not familiar, it's kind of like a mix between an accordion and a bagpipe, where you kind of have to keep the air flowing constantly. And it sounds, and it's just her voice and the harmonium, and it's gorgeous. And I feel like this was like a weak attempt at something like that. Do you have a harmonium? Do you have it? a pump organ yes yes, very similar love it i love that sound and that's like i've never done it myself but it looks incredibly hard to keep up with because it's not like in beat with what you're doing like you just have to constantly keep it moving and i got that vibe from this but like her song is just gorgeous and like way better than this she does mention dreams which i guess is literal at this point i didn't realize that um but it just was kind of like background noise i wouldn't go back to listen to it probably yeah i never want to listen to it again i'm really good on it Mm. yeah Mm. yeah all right track 14 betty betty was written by swift bowery oh swift and bowery so her and alwyn okay produced by swift antonoff desner and alwyn it was the third single august 17th 2020 this song reminds me of album one and two taylor like very early taylor totally yes we're yes. we're back on storytelling, but there's something about it. I guess because it's high schoolish that is very juvenile. That I'm taken very, very, very back. Mm-hmm. Would you kiss me in front of your friends in the backyard? Uh, like weird, weird homeroom. Yes. Did you change your homeroom? Um, yeah, I like that it's written from the male perspective, and I'm not sure if that is her. I think this is her first time doing that. Is it from the male so, perspective? Uh, well, yeah, it oh. is. 
It is from the male perspective, but I don't know if it's the first time, but maybe this it is caused, the first time. I, yeah. This was, uh, I think, this caused a, a bit of like a stir among the, is Taylor writing a uh, women-loving women uh, style song or oh. like gesturing at that for the sake of, like, I think this was yeah, yeah, yeah. S- semi, was semi, semi-contro for that reason. She, she, she talked about it it's it's from a boy's perspective named james and i think in the second verse you you figure out that that the james is telling a story about how much he likes betty right i like that it takes that long to reveal that that you're not really sure who's telling this story at first yeah i don't know from this is taylor's quote about this song everybody makes mistakes everybody messes up sometimes and this is a song that i wrote from the perspective of a 17 year old boy and she confirmed that the characters in this song are named uh after her friend's kids and her friends are ryan reynolds and blake lively same makes me want to fucking yeah right I think this is one of the stronger songs on this album, but there's nothing about it that I'm like, wow, she knocked it out of the park. I I, I just I feel like it's off of her first album. Like this song could be on I her mean, first album. This one, just sing it with a yeah. country twang, and it's it, it's good. it has all the all the musical features of that era, right? Where there's like yeah, there's like a turn on a minor four chord, and then there's a straight up modulation, a step up, and it's like it's just like sounds like love story, basically. You know, one of those really yeah, ones. and also. Uh, worth noting that those are also really musical theatery tropes as well. This one feels like it totally, fully music. Like you, it, you wouldn't even have to do any directing to make this like work on Broadway. Like <laughs> it's just like straight up, like you know, you could just put it on stage. Totally. Maybe Gabby, when we do 1989, we'll we'll throw in Betty. This will be a love aspect. We were talking about in 1989 how that could very easily be a Broadway yeah. show. We'll just pop this one. I, in. I'm sure we're great. not That'd far from the Taylor Swift Broadway show. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that, that I can't will happen. fucking wait. I can't <laughs> I'd fucking go. wait. I'd I go. will <laughs> fly back to New York for that. Uh, okay, great. So not us, but cool. No, cool, 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 cool. cool. <laughs> too many songs about frogs. Too many songs about frogs for me. No, no, no. I want to see Mirrorball on stage too, but not my friends. <laughs> I love you. I'm sorry. Mm, I'll be back. Mm, mm, mm. This is me trying. Um, yeah, this one like I I don't know if it's just uh, like this is what I showed up for, but it it felt like somebody doing their it, it feels so on the nose her, um, mm-hmm. and it, like even though it's a this song would sound somewhat different if anybody else did it. Like it feels like Taylor doing her thing. In a way that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I think I liked it for that reason. Like, I felt like I I showed up to the burger place and they gave me a burger and I was like, nice, this is what I showed up for. Like, right. you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, <laughs> or like a regular. Right, like yeah. Like, familiar. it's like you did a good job of doing the thing you do. Good job. Like, that. that's what, and so, yeah. Yeah. And it. But is that just because, like, that's the type of music that you associated with her from the beginning? Like, I think that's. That's like well, sometimes what I wonder about with that where, I mean, if an early song or type of music shapes an artist, what pe- what you expect from that artist, like, do you just want them to go back to that out of a sense of nostalgia rather than, oh, are they really doing that better than the other things that they do? Um, I Like, 
the example we when we talk about this that I always use is Interpol. It's like right. I love the first couple Interpol records, and they've continued to make records that sound just like Interpol since then. But I'm like totally not interested, mm. right? And yeah. it, so it's mm. I don't think it's quite that, but I think it's because I think if you're going to do that, you then have to do a good job. Mm-hmm. And I think that this this feels like I can sing most of this song totally back to you. I mm-hmm. know what's happening, like the uh the hook works for me like the key change happens at a nice like it's all it, it's not like a a watered down version and you've been doing the same thing the whole time so i don't know yeah like it does it feel like it could have been in the first album absolutely if it was in the first album i would have liked it then mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i don't know yeah even in the same way that like if the if love story comes on i'm like yeah let's do it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, but I would argue maybe not as strong. No, not at all. I mean, I, I feel like I hear her all over the place, and it, I same notes. Back to singer-songwriter makes me think of her first few albums. I like that we're in a male perspective. I think the key change is nice, but also necessary. Um, I think it's good, but it's not great. It's catchy. The tropes were dream, doorstep, and car. Um, and I came away feeling really bad for Inez, who is a chronic liar, apparently. <laughs> I was just like, oh, Actually, this poor bitch. I loved so, Inez. I, I loved, I loved, it's, you can't trust anything that she says, but in this case, you, yeah, I love that. But in this case, amazing. I was like, oh, I feel Inez, like I really, so I really understand who yeah. Inez is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inez is just stirring so that was, the pot. That's what I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> Inez likes to start a fire and watch right. it burn. Good for Inez. Inez. Inez is like, no, for real yeah, this time. Inez. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, track 15, Peace. Peace, written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner. This is another song where I can't, I don't remember anything about it. it never, I don't never remember it at happened. all. I, yeah, I feel like I, I, I can't. I've listened to this album a lot, too, and I don't remember anything about this song. This one, to me, I, I felt like the, I heard the songwriting of someone else in it, for the like, sort of for the first time. It, was, it doesn't sound like her at all. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. It kind of reminded me thematically to The Archer from Lover. Oh, a little, um, yeah. Where she's talking about how relationships with her can be difficult for the other person because of her life. Right. And I think, like, structurally, lyrically, this is a much better version of Archer. And production-wise, too, because Archer was the jack one that literally went nowhere, where the drums started to come in, but nothing happened. Um, I almost would prefer absolutely nothing happening. So I'm not expecting anything. So nothing right. happens on this song production wise. So I'm like, okay, cool. I guess this is better than the Archer. Yeah, I I, I, I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> Devastating review. <laughs> no parts felt important. Do not yeah, want to hear it. nothing. I wow. was like, mm, no thanks. I, yeah. I don't I, I honestly, yeah. I, I give her credit for just, I, I, this is the same thing with uh, Epiphany. I'm just like, uh, I like that she's trying things out. We're on track 15. She's already put the hits on there. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is like my favorite album is Hounds of Love by Kate Bush, which is, you know, no one would confuse for this record in terms of the consistency of the songwriting or anything. But it's what, what I love about the album format is that if you hit your hits in the first half, you have 20 mm-hmm. minutes left to do whatever you want. You know, which is like mm. the the Abbey Road thing, right? It's like you mm. you get yeah. you get the the A sides and then you get the B sides. This is like a classic B side for me, where she's trying something out. Probably won't ever make another song that sounds like this. But uh, I don't know. I just musically, I thought it was nice after so many tightly wound songs to hear something that felt a little different. Okay. Mm. Can't sing it though. No, no memory. Yeah, no memory. No uh, memory. Yeah. yeah. I also think that like. Uh, 
uh, I don't know. Like the fact that some of the weakest songs on this are like Betty feels sandwiched by two songs that are pretty forgettable. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Six, seven, and eight was it? The ones that yeah. were in the middle. Like those are all super weak, which is kind of weird in that album format because like a trope of the album format is that like the first song on the B side is like a super hit yeah. because like you flip the record and like yeah. like superstition. Yeah, is, like, yeah, the, yeah. The 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 biggest example of that, and I feel like. For an artist who both totally lives in on her singles and her touring and whatever, and also knows that all of her fans are going to listen to the whole thing over and over and over again, it's like actually feels kind of under considered as an album like shape. Mm-hmm. Like the topography of it is like, uh, like what? Well, uh, yeah, okay. Like I don't know. Aside from the yeah. fact that seven is seven, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I mean, why? Why was this the order? Moon Shape Pool is literally organized by the letter that it starts with which for each uh, oh yeah. yeah but also in fairness Radiohead's like you showed up for Radiohead so shut the fuck up and smoke your drink like. right. I think it's interesting that she sandwiches mediocre songs with pretty good songs it's like she knows that they're not good she has to know. Can, she has to know. Can relate. I mean, Alan always Alan, <laughs> Alan always used to say like, you know, it's like you try to shape it, shape your your album like a batter like a batting lineup for baseball, right? Where like sure, one, yeah. one gets you on base, two is solid, three and four are like three, four, five are home run hitters. Then it's like everything else out there is kind of it brings value in other ways that maybe aren't scoring runs right and yeah, i think that's right. that's and that's the traditional way of doing that thing right and then track track 10 is the the album ender that's like an apology for the fact that your pitcher can't yeah. swing a bat yeah exactly right, <laughs> <laughs> right. interesting hmm. i, I kind of had similar i wrote that it feels like an experiment or an exercise mm-hmm. like i don't yeah. know if this needed to be on here at all uh, the lyrics felt really crowded to me, and because there was no pattern, it kind of felt like a spoken word situation, and I was just like, I don't know where to go. I, I don't know where we're going. Um, tropes were dream and rain, but like you guys, like I, I don't really have a memory that this happened. <laughs> I think the second time I listened through, I got like halfway through, and then I went to the last song, and I was like, that's enough for me. Got I it. Got yeah. It. So, yeah. Well, all right. Well, we're here. We're at the last song. Oh, my goodness. Track 16, Hoax. Hoax was written by Swift and Desner, produced by Desner. This is my favorite song on this album. Really? Wow. When I listen to this album, I start, I have the album on repeat and I start with Hoax and I, I start there and then lead into the one. I love this song oh on a level. I, I was such an emo kid growing up. And I think the fact that this is my favorite song is like co- confirmation of that. Wow. I, there's so much, it's just lyrically like dark and fucked up, loving somebody that's pretty awful, but just, just accepting that like, I love someone that's awful and I'd rather be with this awful person than not is, is mm. fucking aw- terrible that that's how she, she might <laughs> feel about someone. Yeah. But it's just like the emo-ness of the lyrics that I love. Um, you knew it still hurts underneath my scars from when they pulled me apart. You knew the password, so I let you in the door. You knew you won, so what's the point of keeping score? Like, wow. it's mean. That's It terrible. really is just further confirmation that the that emo is the best kind of songwriting. And it yes. just, it's just whether right. or not you're singing it with that accent or not is like... Ha- right. Yeah. The reason, reason all those guys write for pop musicians. It's just, oh, yeah. they, they're really in touch with the emotional e- aspect. Em- right? Emo's yeah. everywhere. It's like emo is Taylor Swift. Emo is Juice World. Emo is like... <laughs> it's, it's all of it. literally it's everywhere. Everything. But I yeah. think it's that like getting people to connect with your song on an emotional level has to be through a really emotional... From a really emotional lyrical perspective. At like... That 
that's all emo is. So it really does transcend genres in so many ways. But like my only one, my kingdom come undone, my broken drum, you have beaten my heart. Like girl, the drama. I love it. I don't want no other shade of blue but you. No other sadness in the world would do. Like, you, your parents I mean, that's take you to therapy off of Joni right Mitchell. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joni Mitchell's like, I think I wrote that exact song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Joni's yeah. like, check yeah, is in the mail. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite song on this album. I think it's great. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I found myself fatigued by this point in the album. Um, and so mm-hmm. that might have been why when we get to the song, I'm just sort of like half listening at best like I understand. Uh, and certainly for my appetite for melodrama was like ah, uh, <laughs> like i you know i just like i think that was also maybe where album order hurt a little bit it was just like uh, boy i'd have to get really wound up to be here honestly if you had told me to play that as track one i might have a, a yeah. different relationship yeah, to the yeah. Song. yeah. I play it as track one, and then I stop after Mad Woman. Like I don't fuck mm. with Epiphany, Bethany, or Peace, or Betty and Peace. Wow. Like I don't. Did fuck you, with what those did you? Songs. Yeah. Epiphany, Bethany. <laughs> yeah, I combine the words. My bad. <laughs> words are hard. <laughs> words are hard. Yeah. Also, Bethany way harder to put in a song. Bethany, I don't know why you changed. <laughs> I challenge you to include that name in the next song. Um. Uh... We've got a bunch of music to write, so uh, so why not? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like be- it's like Best of Me by a starting line. But the, Beth, with, the, the, Beth, the, s- the Beth, the Beth, the Beth, the Bethany. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> come on, come on. Yeah. Sing it with a lisp and you're totally there. So challenge accepted. Ellis, what do you think about Hope? Uh, similar to Alan, I actually, to be honest, that this is one where I did feel like once I got past an hour... It was just hard to stay super locked in. Yeah. Um, and the the couple beforehand had been, you know, a little bit more atmospheric. So I think I kind of like uh, yeah. didn't have a ton to say. Um, I think, yeah, I think this album, I mean, I, I of the Taylor albums, I think this is the one that I've listened through top to bottom the most, partly because we did it for this, but also because it's one of those albums that just gets put on, you know, at yeah. wherever at parties and you just kind of do it. Um, yeah. But I do think at, at like 45 minutes, you know, I think she could have done a version of this that was 45 minutes and just felt a little bit more like, you know, packed together in a way that was really nice. Yeah. It's hard to say no mm-hmm. when, you know, when you know that an added track is, you know, 200 million streams. <laughs> it's like hard to hard to say no to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you guys for the most part. I really like the verses and the piano part. I like the vocal pattern. I actually think her voice sounds the best on this song. Mm-hmm out of the whole album like her voice is just whatever mix they had whatever the the tonality of it like it's just beautiful but as a whole overall I don't love it but I think to your guys point I was kind of exhausted like I was going through so many like ugh. so by the end but I'd be really interested to Gabby's point to like put it in the beginning or just listen to it by itself I might revisit it later and just kind of see because I'm interested in it but Kind of felt like I was running a marathon at this point. And I was like, so, let me just get out of uh, here. Fun fact, this song and the one were written last and back to back. She should have flipped I them. agree. Because I think them. that they go well together. And perhaps it is for the reason that they were written at the same time. And they, mm. were, they ended up bookending the album. And that was kind of an intentional choice that Taylor and Aaron made. But like, I wish it, it would have just been so much cooler if they started 
this album with hoax and led into the one. Yeah. I just think it's... It certainly would have set a different yeah. tone. Whereas, like, the one sets the tone in a literal way. It's because that is yeah. the first lyric that yes. she sings. Whereas I think hoax <laughs> right. is more true to what actually is happening on this album. I agree. I agree. And tropes were just kingdom and door, so not, like, super crazy. But to... I think Alan had said it, like, the, the melodrama, like... I, I get why you like the lyrics, Gabby, but I don't know. I, after a while, I'm like, I don't know if she needs therapy, if she's depressed or what. But she I feel certainly like needs in a one hug. or two songs, you can do it really well. But after 16, I'm like, all right, I don't know. Yeah. What is happening on this album? Thank you for asking, Alan. Yeah. Oh, yes. We're at the part. This is the part of the podcast where I read some of Taylor. So Taylor usually writes a big thing in her liner notes about what you're about to listen to. So I'm going to read you some of it. I apologize in advance. (laughs) It started with imagery, visuals that popped into my head and piqued my curiosity. A tale that becomes folklore is one that is passed down and whispered around, sometimes even sung about. The lines between fantasy and reality blur and the boundaries between truth and fiction become almost indiscernible. Speculation over time becomes fact. Myths, ghost stories, and fables. Fairy tales and parables gossip and legend someone's secrets written in the sky for all to behold in isolation my imagination has run wild and this album is the result a collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness picking up a pen was my way of escaping into fantasy history and memory i've told these stories to the best of my ability all with the love wonder and whimsy they deserve and now it's up to you to pass them down okay so completely serious question do you feel like that statement conveyed information? No. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, she said like, nothing. I was like, that doesn't say anything. That was, listen, I majored in philosophy. Sometimes you just have to like <laughs> eat 500 words to just set up that like, I'm about to make some bullshit up. Like that, nothing in that would be like, so now what I'm about to hear and then inform anything about that at all. Really? Okay. So I will say the, oh, the thing that stuck out to me and I was like, oh, I get it a little was in isolation. My imagination has run wild. That should have been the note. First of all, that, that that literally only, that only explains mirrorball to me. I'm like, cool. You tried drugs (laughs) for the first time. Congratulations. Like that's okay. So first of all, I feel like everything that she talks about in that note are like things Which, that what, I think about all the time. Actually, what, what did she talk? Well, about? Well, she's basically that note? saying I think what she's saying is right. Her, <laughs> what so her did she talk about speak on it, Alice. Speak on it. No, the the line. I think that as a songwriter, there's immediately an assumption from the audience that the song that you're writing is from your perspective and it's it's your experience and Betty's a real person and right. da, 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 da. and that's clearly followed her through her whole life right where there's like yeah, right. who was mean about who was dear john about like yes. all this shit right yes and it's i think that is a lot to live with um and i think it constantly causes uh problems in your personal life and your social life and i think what she's saying by that is basically saying two things one like I'm getting back in touch with the thing that makes me good as a songwriter, which is storytelling. Mm. Uh, and storytelling is like myth. It's folklore. It's fables. It's, it's ghost stories, right? It's like, it's American. Tra- it's not just American. It's just, tr- you know, oral traditions, traditions. right? Mm-hmm. That's a, and then B, 
the people who you're about to meet in this album are people I imagined, not my actual life. And both of those things, I feel like I'm constantly saying all the time about yeah, our own songwriting. Yeah. Can, you re- can you read the statement one more time? I feel like what you just said was like, if your teacher loved you and you just gave the worst book report in the world, and then they were like, I think what Bobby meant was... <laughs> The, it's, the lines between fantasy and reality blur and the boundaries between truth and fiction become almost indiscernible. Speculation over time becomes fact. Myths, ghost stories, and fables, fairy tales and parables, gossip and legend, someone's secrets written in the sky for all to behold. What would have had to have been on the album for what she wrote to have not applied? Well, I think the... Right. I mean, I like, guess... Like, right. That's like, like what, a what, what, what I'm, statement. Yes, what I'm saying is like that statement says nothing other than... Songs are stories. I wrote some. Some true, some yeah. not. Yeah, but the opposite Enjoy. version. The, the, the more Please pass this on was the only part where I was like, yes, bitch. You, Tell you them to, to promote understand. the album. Yes. You have to understand that Taylor's fans are not used to digesting her this way. Well, Those exactly. are not the kind of songs that That's she That's the thing writes. I was going to say is it's like, first of all, no one is holding a pop star up for their program notes, right? That's like just not, that's not what it's about. But right. also, I think the thing that it says that uh, it's like what the the more specific version of that, which is kind of the one I was trying to articulate, mm-hmm. is basically like, "Hey, I made a concept album about like a bunch of different people. None of them are me." Which is literally, I've written that program note like four times for four different albums, and you yeah. know who wants to hear that? Not that many people like to have that experience. Right. Like, because I think what she's doing is she's giving like a much more. Uh, she's just saying these are a bunch of stories. This is a modern, you know, take of, of Americana folk folk songs, and I'm as such, I'm dressing it up with folk instruments. Whether or not it actually succeeds on that level, I think is obviously up to the listener. But that's I, what she's mm. framing it as, I think. I, yeah, I, I just don't think that that I, one. I still have no idea what I'm supposed to feel, have learned, retained, or literally anything at, of the album as a whole. I do, I literally mm. don't think that it. I'm not even certain that it has tangible through lines that aren't undermined one by the other. At I don't other disagree points. at all. Yeah. 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 Right, and then I think that that statement basically just says. I wrote songs, some true, some not, about things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what you, that's all yep. you need. That's what, exactly what, I, what she's saying. <laughs> yes, but what and I'm, so say, what I'm saying And so that you're like, saying, Alan, you can't find the through thread. She's telling you there fucking isn't one. Yeah. Right. But what I guess I mean is like, that's a really nice way to say I didn't do the homework. So I decided that I'm going to just make up right. what I think the book would have <laughs> well, been but about. No, sure, but albums don't I have guess. to have like a, like no, they, a they, they don't. But if you're going to write a long winded statement about what it's about, send me no statements. <laughs> like mm. literally I, print I folklore in random text and then say pass it on. Like, yeah, that's all I, I fucking think, needed to know. I think there's no through thread thematically, lyrically that she can really connect to, to show people, which is a thing on every single album. There is, yeah. she tells yeah. you that like lover, this is a song. This, this album is about how much I love love. That's what that's about. Yeah. Reputation is about people talking shit about me and you don't really know me. You just get this album. You don't get to comment on it. Speak now is about, I wish I said these things to people, but I didn't like, she tells you straight up and yeah, she's kind of right, letting right. you know, so like you're not going to get that here. Right. And the only through thread is Aaron Dessner. That's right. it. Yeah. And I, I feel like I yeah. feel like what this is is like it's an album that's disjointed in probably could have been edited down to a thing that was better. But this yes. this is sort of like carte blanche to be like, 
here's all my stuff. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. like, again, you're Taylor Swift, do it. Like, I, sure. sure I feel but, like sonically, it's a really focused album. I think it's like, it, it, but it's that's, that's, yeah, clear. that's Aaron, the Aaron that's point. Aaron. That's the right. Aaron point. She was like, I just wrote a bunch of like freeform stuff that ranges everything from, I'm a disco ball. Here's a specific story about uh, kids in high school making out in the backyard. Can you see my face in your neighbor's lawn? Girl, I'm on some right. new shit. Like emo, 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 <laughs> illicit. Like literally this is like absolute hard drive chaos of just like I pulled whatever. And then like it's just dressed up in the same clothes of like, okay, I hired like this producer to make sure that we stayed enough in the pop lane. I hired this guy to make sure that it sounded funky yeah. enough. We did it. We did it in the woods and like whatever. Like, okay, cool. But like, yeah. I think the like, it feels more like an explanation of like that. I think it's the language of it sounding like folklore is a such and such. Like that feels like me bullshitting at the beginning of a project that I didn't yeah. actually do more than it feels like anything. And so uh, I guess you're Taylor Swift. You have to write a note about something, but like that note says you didn't do the homework. Um, I but, hear you. I get well, what you're saying, but I'm with I, you. Yeah. I'm totally with I you. guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. I guess I just don't know what the version of this album like, like, what do you want? Like, Into the Woods? Like, 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 what is the version of this album that actually really follows up on folk tales in a way that works on the level that it, she needs it to work, right? It's like, I don't think that exists. It's like, yeah, it's like I, I modern think, imaginations of myths. Like, I, get, like, that's I don't even like, think there's, no. there's enough tracks on this album to pull and say, okay, this is an actual folk album. I don't right. think there's enough of that. Right. No, no, no. I no. think she no. really was just playing with like the idea of folk sound and hoping to tie it in with her yes. writing because right. she yeah. is a storyteller yeah. at the end of the day. And for that, I think she succeeded. Right. On, on yeah. uh, with if that was the journey, like cool. Well, I and there's wish, a, mm-hmm, sorry. I wish like if we have 16 tracks on here. We could have done this at 10, babe. Yeah. Like yeah. we don't have to do Easily. any like, album over 10 tracks. I'm like really. But there's just That's a really old. there's a, there's a long and like really <laughs> robust history of songwriters with really specific voices trying on new clothes for every album, right? I yeah. mean, like it's yeah. like Paul Simon doing Graceland, you yeah. know, then doing Bridge Over Troubled Water. Like like it's like. Uh, I think what's it, this just feels like a bunch of Taylor songs that are dressed up in this particular way, which mm. works in certain mm-hmm. ways for me, just because I like that sound world. You know, mm. I like that she's not trying to get me to like get up and dance. Like it's a little bit more introspective. Right, right. So that works yeah. for me. But I think like if you're going to a Taylor Swift album expecting anything other than Taylor Swift telling you about herself through lenses, but really it feels very like that's just what she yeah. is. She writes, she has an extremely clear point of view and like whatever she's wearing on that thing, maybe that affects the mood that you're in when you listen to it, but it doesn't affect the songwriting very much. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's go through. I want to hear from everybody. What's your favorite song? What's your least favorite song? And what get, is an honorable mention? What's your underdog? Alan, you look like you're deep in thought. So you go first. Um, <laughs> Invisible String. Favorite? Uh, honorable mention. No, I don't want to. Not not. I was about to say <laughs> Betty, but like I don't really mean that. Like that, that's that's the one that's like most easily stuck in my head. But I don't think that's actually like maybe Mad Woman could just be like because I'm like okay. It there's a depth to I, like that's a song that I hear and I'm like oh actually that has adult depth from a person who's like from a songwriter in yeah. their thirties. Got it. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, like there's like there are choices yeah, that make sense. Least favorite, 
uh gotta be mirrorball because like for sure i just mm. like that one like some of the other songs where i'm like doesn't really do anything for me there's at least like you try to do something different that one just feels like uh ironically in mirrorball fashion like a truly polished turd like that one <laughs> that one just should have been like absolutely axed from jump and they were like we're gonna save this at all costs and now they have like you know it's corpse with mm. eyes pinned open and they're like no it's it's a it's fine it's gonna be okay <laughs> no. no 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 it's fine all right alice what about you favorite least an underdog um uh, favorite's probably the invisible string as well. I thought that I think that one really works. Um and feels like maybe of all these the one that I would put on like a greatest hits for Taylor mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um okay. uh, second honestly like maybe like uh illicit affairs or um what was the other one that I liked? Uh I'm looking through back through these. Oh, um Last Great American Dynasty. I think that you know both of those are really I yeah. like the I like the lyric writing. Loves the song about New England. Uh, yeah, New England really. You do get loves, a bump every time anyone talks about, song about New England. Yeah, I get it. I get um, it. Uh, probably least favorite, uh, and I say this more just out of like lack of memorability. Like I don't, I, I can't even really ima- remember what August was like. So mm-hmm. maybe that one, Mirrorball. At least I really remember it. So uh, that one, <laughs> that one goes above the that threshold. Fair, for me. Okay. Yep. fair, fair. Kate, what about you? Uh, best song, Last Great American Dynasty. I feel like that's like easily the winner of this whole album. Um, my underdog would be Invisible String. And my worst is Peace. Because I don't know what the fuck was happening. I just don't know what was happening. That's yeah, no, fair. No memory. Uh, my no. favorite is Hoax. You guys have to start from track right. 16 like me and then no, you'll get there. Yeah. The real track one, wow. Hoax. The real track real one. Track one. Uh, least is absolutely mirrorball uh 150 percent. that is the worst song it might be the worst song i think no it's not the worst song we've heard from her she's done worse no it's it's not. definitely stay, not stay 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 oh that's Come a bad on. one um <laughs> and my underdog i'll give it to invisible string i like that one a lot nice yeah all right so some consensus some we're, consensus we're kind of in the same space um so kate we're on eight albums now are you a fan of taylor swift yet I've been saying all along that, like, I was consistently a fan of her and her decisions and her business mind. Some albums a fan, some not. Not a fan of this album. And now I'm starting to question whether I'm a fan of her Uh and the decisions that she's making. So we're going in a place that I don't know if we're going to recover from. Everyone loves a surprise album. I loved her approach to this. But with everything else, I think it's just too much. If she had put out a surprise EP, I might have been on top of that. I would have been like, oh, my God, wow, look at her. She edited. She surprised us. I love all the songs. This is just too much. And I haven't even listened to the next one, but I heard it's just like cutting room floor of this one. Mm. So now I'm nervous. I listened to Evermore once, and I've never listened to it again because I was oh, like, that no. was bullshit. Yeah. So I, I want to thank both of you for not inviting us to the Evermore one because truly that <laughs> would have been like pulling teeth. But I will say oh, that no. the, the there are songs on Evermore, albeit forgettable, that could have supplanted at least a few of the songs on this one. So interesting. I, yeah, I'm curious mm. to to go back and maybe I'll listen to it that way. Well, Kate, yeah. When you have to answer this question at the end, Alan always says to me, "Is like uh, if you uh, even artists that you really like, is it really more than like three or four of their songs that you really like?" Yeah. So if at the end of this whole thing you get four songs that you like from Taylor Swift, I think you have to say that you like Taylor Swift at yeah. that point. Yeah, like you're. Uh, you're oh, you're, that's a good point. You're absolute. If that's if that's the case, and I totally get what you're saying, although I do have artists who 
I think, write entire albums that are just completely underrated and fantastic. But if that is the case, then I am a fan of very early Taylor. Uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. And 1989 Taylor. Mm. And then after that, I'm just kind of like, who is mm. this? I don't care anymore. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's where I'm yeah, at. I think it's, uh, I usually say that uh, hyperbolically, but it is true. It's like even your favorite artists, it's like, it's very tough to take anybody's entire body of work and be like, I can, I can stand behind everything if they make yeah. more than, you know, a couple albums. Like, it's, it's easiest yeah. to do with like Lauren Hill. You know what I mean? Because you're like, that one right. was great. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's hard. Right. Like, who? Right. I guess Brand New for me is the only one where I'm like, every album, I'm like, all in. But yeah. again, I'm an emo I girl. Know. I feel like, but I have a couple of artists where I'm like, I'm down for all of it. I don't even think they have bads. I mean, maybe one or two, but I don't know. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. I, I feel mean. like it's hard when someone's airing on the side of pop to have just entire bodies of work that are good because as a just as a genre and structurally pop is meant to just like fade it's yeah. not necessarily yes. meant to be super long lasting yeah. or like right. even for you to like connect with it emotionally it's just supposed to be a three and a half minute banger and you move on right that's right. true that's very true and i think my thing with taylor too is she has jumped in and out of so many genres like one of the artists i feel can almost do no wrong is sarah Bareilles, and i have followed her entire career and she doesn't really strip like she she dabbles with pop a little bit, but in her own songwriting, like it changes just enough each album where I'm like, you are learning from things, you are improving consistently. But it's because she hasn't tried a rap album, she hasn't tried a pop album, yeah. she hasn't tried. She's an just 80s perfecting album. the so, one craft that she's always had. Yeah, and I think artists that I love do that. They stay in their lane, but they just continually change it a little bit each time. So maybe that's the that's issue. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, guys. Thanks, thanks so guys. much. That was really <laughs> thank fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was super fun. I pre- we appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday to do this. Of course, we've we've Absolutely. got uh, we've got our trumpet player John Brandon waiting in the other room to uh, photograph our studio. So he uh, he just he wanted me to pass on that there should be more trumpet solos on every single Taylor Swift song. But. Yes, I don't disagree. Uh, don't disagree. Yeah, here for it. Agree uh, completely. But anyway, <laughs> great to see you guys. Thanks for having us. All right, so this is a lyric trope tally count for Taylor's eighth album, Folklore. Jeans, one song. Dress, zero songs. Radio, zero songs. Daddy and or father, two songs. Truck, car, or passenger seat, four songs. Knee, zero songs. Rain, one song. Town, three songs. Dance or dancing, one song. Dream, daydream, or dreaming, four songs. Phone, one song. Stars, one song. 2 a.m., zero songs. Story, chapter, or page, zero songs. My room, your room, or bedroom, zero songs. Royalty of any kind, two songs. Door or doorstep, five songs. Big thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, minornotespodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next week on Minor Notes, Kate and I will bring this series to an end by discussing Taylor's ninth studio album, Evermore. Be sure to tune in.
for me. Finally cool!